Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengloss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You know, I have so many articles ready for today's show. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be quite interesting um, because it's time to pick on the Supreme Court. <laughs> One of my favorite things to go after because they're so corrupt, so disgusting, they're so with their own power. Um, they've done the, the one thing, the one thing that cannot be done by any entity of the federal government, and that is to make up their own power. The Constitution is very specific. You know, the states, the states are supreme to the federal government, contrary to popular belief. The st- and the, the obvious proof of that is the fact that the states ratified the Constitution. The federal government did not ratify the Constitution and create the states. The states ratified the Constitution and created the federal government. And if you don't understand that, you don't know how our system works. This is a republic. Article 4, Section 4. In fact, I even found an article that says that the, the Supreme Court says the states don't have to enforce Article 4, Section 4. Well, the Supreme Court can neither create power nor deny it either. <laughs> I mean, that's not their job. Their job is very simple, to handle cases in law and equity and then the rest of the time shut the hell up. That's basically it. All right? That's all they can do. Handle cases in law and equity and the specific delegations of authority uh, listed in Article 3, and that's it. Other than that... You know, don't, don't mess stuff. But what they cannot do, what no entity of government can do, is create their own power. And it's actually gotten worse than that because not only have they created their own power to say what the Constitution says, they said that nobody else can say what the Constitution says because they are not only the, the, the judicial review power to review anything by any other government, they're the final word. Nobody can challenge them. They're it. <laughs> they're supreme. So they've taken that supreme, you know, the word supreme, a little bit uh, beyond the, you know, a little bit too seriously. They're really enamored with their own power, and they think that five judges, not justices, judges, the, the Constitution says judges. They, they don't even use the right terminology about who they are, right? So they think that somehow they've risen above judges. They're not judges anymore. They are justices, and that's not true. Judges. Constitution says judges. We'll go over Article 3 in a little bit. But the point is that these people have waived any semblance of the original power. Uh, in fact, I'm trying to get a, a constitutional authority uh, on the show to talk about this. And the reason I want to do that uh, is because this needs to be challenged. It needs to be challenged seriously. The, the Supreme Court functioned just fine before Marbury versus Madison, for, functioned just fine before judicial review. Uh, and uh, that's the kind of court we need to go back to. So as we restore so many other things to our founding, when we were a republic, uh, we need to restore the Supreme Court to a pre-Marbury versus Madison uh, court, which actually uses the Constitution rather than interprets it stays within Article 3, doesn't make up their own powers, and certainly doesn't uh, get into uh, uh, a, a judicial supremacy, which is where they are right now, thinking they can not only uh, you know, ru- you know, rule on what's constitutional, but they can prescribe a remedy. And whether that remedy is a law, a regulation, or a policy, they think they can do pretty much whatever they want. In other words, they've taken independent judiciary uh, and, and made it omnipotent <laughs> judiciary. So they can do anything they want, right? Um, and the other thing that's fascinating about this is they can challenge the executive. They can challenge the, the legislature, and, but nobody can challenge them. You know, and this is the weird part. Of course, that's how you know this is a flawed theory. That's how you know everything coming out of the Supreme Court is BS. Because they say that we can challenge you, but you can't challenge us. Well, so much for co-equal branches of government. And a lot of this has gone to uh, uh, the, the theory that the left has that we're a democracy. We're not a friggin' democracy. Okay, we're not. Um, and the idea that the court can uh, democratize or, or make things equal or, or take popular votes or all that kind of stuff or, or go with uh, what they think the will of the people is of their own will is nonsense. 
A republic is defined very specifically. Oh, Pianchi's on. Uh, Pianchi's already on. Pianchi, I'll get to you in a minute. I'm just going to rant. I mean, let me rant for a little bit, and we have a ton of things to go over this morning. Pianchi has <clears throat> part of the reason I'm doing the show. Actually, a big part of the reason I'm doing the show. Bianchi brought a uh, Supreme Court decision to my attention yesterday, and so we're going to talk about that and uh, a bunch of others. Um, I think I need to grab a drink of water here for a second. My throat sounds bad. Yes, I'll take a Rubio water break moment. Ah, that's better. Anyway, so if you understand what a republic is, you understand how far the Supreme Court has strayed from their original uh, limitations under Article 3. So a republic is a place with a limited government of defined powers, of, of delegated powers to which the government cannot go beyond, <clears throat> of a separation of powers so that the government can take over the other branches of government, where there are co-equal branches. And the nice thing is that there are three of them, and that's good, because if there are two of them, they'd just be opposing each other equally, and we'd have a stalemate. But because there are three, you can always have a two-to-one decision. That's why with the Supreme Court, you'll always have odd numbers, because if you had even numbers, you could have ties all day long and nothing would be accomplished. Um, same thing in Congress, I think, has odd numbers in the House. Uh, it seems to work out that way, too. Otherwise, that's why you, you avoid ties. Right? That way, you, you see, if you had ties, then the Speaker would, would take over and just you know, make all the decisions for Congress, which is pretty much what they do anyway. So a republic means that you cannot make up your own powers. You cannot you know, just use uh, like popular will, popular vote, popular anything like that, because it's not a popular decision. The, the whole way that minorities get respected, whether it's minority viewpoint or minority group, and the reason we don't have the of the majority of a democracy uh, is because everybody has an interest. And in securing individual rights, and even if we're only talking about one individual, we may only be talking about one individual. It is critical to secure that individual's rights because in doing that, we secure everybody's individual rights. And the government cannot override individual rights. Individual rights are the paramount decision here. Uh, is the paramount authority. The individual, the American individual citizen is the most powerful entity in this country. And from the individuals flows the power that the individuals give to the states and the states give to the federal government. Federal government is actually the servant of, of all the other governments, in actual fact, if you take it the way it's supposed to be. And that's how a republic works. A republic is very structured. It guarantees rights. It guarantees you know, due process for trials. Uh, it guarantees things that a democracy doesn't, which is a wide open situation where anybody can have anything as long as they can get enough votes or buy enough votes. That's how that works. All right, let's bring Pianchi in, and we're going to talk about a, a bunch of different cases this morning. It's going to be a busy morning. Uh, we have lots to do. Good morning, Pianchi. Welcome back to the show. Hey, how you doing this morning? I'm on a roll. Great. I'm on a great roll. Well, I'm glad you, you called in early because I, I figured you'd be around for a while because we do have a lot to discuss. Well, there's always a lot to discuss. Uh, next morning, uh, next uh, daylight, you never know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, you brought me to the attention, uh, and we haven't done this for a while. We spent a lot of time about the court, and you brought to my attention something about the uh, one, of the, one of the many cases that have caused a lot of grief. I'm sort of distracted right now because I'm trying to pull up an article that didn't, uh, for some reason, I don't know what happened to it, but uh, I can't pull up the article. It, so let me just kind of, I'm going to do this again while we're talking. So re, it's from Reason Magazine, one of the many cases. So what was the case that you brought up? What's the one you want to talk about? Let's go with that first. Well, it was a case in uh, North Carolina, and it basically put Article One, Section Four, Clause One back into the context of the discussion. 
<clears throat> that article reads the time, places, and manner of how holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to the places of choosing senators. And, of course, we know that the the whole thing about choosing senators that used to be chosen by state legislature until they came up with, what was it, the 17th Amendment, I think it was, Mm-hmm. that made it be accomplished by popular vote. Well, yeah, this is what we call the year that freedom died, 1913, where we got the Income Tax Amendment, we got the Federal Reserve Act, which was an act of Congress, and we got the 17th Amendment, which said that the, uh, uh, again, that is a violation of Article 4, Section 4, that we're guaranteed a republic. We're guaranteed a republican form of government. Um, and actually, the federal government has to guarantee to do that to the states. And they cannot guarantee a republican form of government if you impose democracy through the 17th Amendment and take away the power of the states uh, to represent themselves in Congress by taking away their vote for senators and giving it to the people where the people already have a vote when they vote for the House. And so they violated separation of powers. They violated federalism. They violated the Constitution, Article 4, Section 4. Uh, and they violated the fact that we're a republic. With that amendment, it never should have passed. I don't even know how the states ratified it, unless they didn't. It was just a fraud. I mean, I, I can't swear to that, but uh, that's something interesting. Well, yeah, then what you have, it goes into these redistricting uh-huh. uh, issues where you've heard uh, what came out of Alabama, and then you seemingly got uh, some of the issues that's coming out of North Carolina. And I'm on the contention that the state should have control over that as intended. Yeah. But uh, it's going to take the Constitutional Amendment to put it back where it's supposed to be. Well, yeah, because we have to get rid of the 17th Amendment. That's the first thing. Uh, And it's actually, that's a fairly easy amendment. Just, Just like, remember when they got rid of Prohibition? You know, and but the problem is once it's there, it's still there in the Constitution. So it's kind of funny. So you have the Volstead Amendment, which is the one that imposed poli- uh, prohibition, and then you have it's like the 18th Amendment put it in. I think the 20th Amendment took it out again. <laughs> there's like there's one in between them. Let me just take a look. It's actually kind of funny how this worked out. Uh, amendment, amendment, amendment. Was it 18th? Yeah, that was the one. So 17th Amendment. Uh, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators da, 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 elected by the people thereof. Okay, that was a mistake. Amendment 16, the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect tax. So 16th was tax, 17th was the, um, um, was the senators, and the 18th Amendment uh, was ratified uh, January 16th, 1919, uh, which said that uh, after one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors, you know, is that's legislation. That amendment is, is, in fact, illegal. Not only was it illegal for the government to impose it on the federal government, is it illegal for them to impose it upon the states? Because the federal government has no such ability to do that. The Constitution is a limitation on the federal government, not on the states. So this whole amendment should have been ruled unconstitutional immediately, before it even became an amendment. All right, so then uh, so the 19th Amendment was the right of citizens to vote, everybody. So that's the right of women to vote. Uh, and then it says the 20th Amendment is the term of president and vice president. So which is the one that got rid of uh, which is the one that got rid of prohibition? Jeez. Well, you know, here's the thing too, uh, Greg. That, yeah, only 20th a, Amendment. Only a federal election. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. That's, this only 
applies to federal election. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still contend that when you look at a congressional district, congressional district consists of at least two or maybe more state districts. And thereby, just that factor alone, mm-hmm. it gives the state districts the control over that federal congressional district, that congressperson, if they would just use it the right way. Because the votes for the congressperson comes from where? It comes from a combination of those state districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the people that vote for a member of Congress are people that within that congressional district. Nobody else can vote for that member of Congress. Whereas the Senate should have been uh, the way it used to be was that the uh, the state legislators voted. Now you have it's, it's a statewide jurisdiction of the people. But the problem is you've got out of state money coming in. You've got all the other, these other influences. This is where democracy is screwing up our country. See, a republic is a great form you, of government. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. See, the people that's voting for your your state representative is the mm-hmm. same people that's voting for that federal congressperson. Mm-hmm. So. Through the state representative, they should be able to control the agenda of that congressperson. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, this is what you want. we want you to do, and if you don't do it, we're going to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. It just don't yeah. use their power in that manner. Yeah. It's interesting that the, probably the smallest of the three is the state representative's district. And so they're the closest to the people as a state. The state senator uh, has a bigger district, but again, those are elected by the people. So you've got the state, both state positions are, 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 are using a democracy process. Um, the House of Representatives, the federal government, the Congress, has an even bigger uh, legislative district than a state senator. They have more people, you know, because there are fewer of them. I don't know how it works exactly, but that's a bigger district. But again, that is a vote of the people. And so the people are, are thoroughly represented here who's not represented are the states, which is ironic because the states ratified the Constitution. So the state, and I mentioned this, the very first thing, the states created the federal government. The Constitution, not the federal government creating the states. The Constitution is the states creating the federal government and giving them the rules to operate by. And they cannot exceed, they cannot go beyond those rules. And this is what the Supreme Court doesn't understand. Because they think they, once, once they were allowed to, to get away with making up their own power, they've just gone, gone crazy. So where's the section on um, where the states have the state legislature? Is it Article 1, Section 4? I don't want to get that out for people yeah, so they really understand what it is. It, it all starts right there in okay. what you said, Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1, right in the beginning. Yeah. The tongues, places, and manner. Manner means how you do it. All right? So the times, places, and how you do it, you know, uh, how you hold elections – for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Boom. That's it. And then it says, and this I think is a mistake, but the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to the places of choosing senators. So the Senate, so the state legislature take laws, but it says Congress may alter regulations. Now, here's the question, though. Does that mean regulations by the governors, regulations by the secretaries of state? What does this mean exactly? If we, if we break it down, it doesn't say the Congress may at any time, by law, make or alter 
election laws by the state legislatures. It doesn't even mention the state legislatures at all. It's to the Congress. The only power the Congress has is to make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing the senators. So the, the, the Congress may alter, it says to me, you know, something of the manner of holding elections that the states have created, but they can't, they can't take over it. They can't do it all. I still think that's a mistake. That shouldn't have been in there. They should have left the Congress out of it. It should have just stopped with the times, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. They should have just stopped right there. What do you think? Well, I agree. There's a discrepancy on what they mean by regulating. But once again, we get into this same point of view that uh, these regulations are coming out of the opinion of these heads of these bureaucrats, and mm-hmm. they're ended up being laws that American citizens had to live on, but they really don't get a chance to vote on. Yeah, exactly. So who is not in the process? Congress may alter regulations of elections. I'm not sure why. The only thing I would think they would do um, is if, and this is where Congress should have, and probably does have jurisdiction, like for poll taxes or you remember segregation laws or things like that, anything that discriminated against voters, Congress would have the ability to alter that. Because those would be wrong. those would be obviously unconstitutional regulations if they were put into if the state put those into and did put into their election policies. That's where the Voting Rights Act came from. So in that respect, it makes sense. Yeah. However, however, the time, place, and manner—in other words, how the elections take place—unless they're doing something that specifically violates the Constitution—is exclusively the jurisdiction of the state legislatures, not the governor, not the secretaries of state, not the DAs, not the Congress. Nobody. As long as they're, you know, we could read as long as these states are following the Constitution, they can do what they want. They can, they can uh, you know, say their elections are, you know, every year or, or whatever. We'll, we'll select, you know, delegates a year ahead of time. And whatever they want to do, you know, usually it's going to be an election day or early voting or things like that. The state legislatures can do that. State legislatures can bring in or ban mail-in ballots. But it has to be done by the legislature. Well, you know what state legislature – see, these are, this, this only applies to federal candidates. Okay. Yeah, it's well, over their own. Election. I mean, yeah, to get true. to a really extreme, Greg, what they could have is uh-huh. separate regulations for the federal that Congress can't alter, but uh-huh. they have separate regulations for state and local that Congress can't mess with. Well, I don't think they would have to say that because I think it's understood that unless the government, unless the federal government is delegated a certain power, they can't do it. There were, and for example, we'll get on to judicial review and other things later, but you, the, they cannot mess with state and local elections because they were never delegated the authority to do so. Well, the only place they have is senators and representatives. So that, they, it's just so, a most better argument in the most recent court when it applies yeah. to federal elections. Now, if it applies to state elections, they have, no, they have no business messing around with what goes on mm-hmm. with state and local candidates. Yep. But here's, but here's the problem. It was this, this decision we just talked about, uh, which is the uh, – what is it here? The Moore and uh, – Moore versus Harper. This is the North Carolina decision. And there was another in Alabama. Uh, I found the name of that one, Allen something or other. So the, the, the Supreme Court said that they can, they, have, they can force Alabama to create two legislative districts for black people. That's insane. That's irrational. There's no way they have any kind of power like that. And yeah, but, it's, but it can only but it can only apply to federal candidates. Now, if they want to, they can say, "Well, this is the district for the federal, 
and this is a district for state and local. Yeah, states. Well, that's an interesting question. So the states make up their local. Well, they're still gerrymandering. And in fact, I even post something on on my Facebook page on 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 district maps. And so one of the ways this is one of the problems with the two system or any party system for that matter is that whatever the majority party is, they try and rig the the electoral districts, whether they be state or federal, to benefit their party. And this is why yeah, they do that. Part, for, they do that for, at a federal level. See, the thing that we're missing here. Mm-hmm. Is that only Congress only has that authority over federal candidates. They don't right. have that authority over state and local candidates. The states have that authority. Mm-hmm. So if necessary, what I do is have a district for state and local and have the district for federal elected uh, candidates. Well, we kind of do. Get around. Because we, we do. Do because state electoral, state legislator and state uh, state house and state house, uh, senate members are not bound by the federal congressional districts at all, so they're, they're totally different. They can be bigger, smaller, overlap, go around. They can cross over. They can do all kinds of stuff. The two totally different sets of, of districts. Like I'm in the first well, congressional that's... district, all right. Mm-hmm. But my first congressional district has maybe I think two. Senators, possibly three. I think it's two, and probably maybe three different state representatives, all within the first congressional district. And how many overlaps into the second congressional district? I have no idea. I have to take a look at a map and see what the overlaps are. But they're not bound. The state legislative districts are not bound by the federal congressional districts. And of course, there are no Senate uh, districts. They're just the Senate. They're just states. Well, let me, let me get into something here. I want to, I want to uh, move on to a different. Uh, we've only got a couple of hours. It's going to go fast. Um, yeah, go but the reason. But here's the problem, and the problem is this is how the court rationalizes, and the court's screwing up. So the title of the show, in case anybody has has missed it, uh, we got Mark on the Netherlands. Hey, Marco, we'll get him in the conversation too. See what the the, the Netherlands Supreme Court is. Anyway, the the question, the, the title of the, today's show is "Can Our Constitution and Our Nation Survive the Supreme Court?" And as we got to rein these people in, they've got severe problems. They've got delusions of grandeur. They've got arrogance beyond all bounds. They can rationalize anything. So here's what they said. Remember that part we just read. Article 1, Section 4. The state legislature shall determine the time, place, and manner of elections. Okay? Let's just call it that. So what they call that, the Supreme Court calls that, and all the leftist uh, judicial folks that support the Supreme Court call that the independent state legislature theory. The independent state, they call it theory. It's not theory. Okay? It's written in the Constitution. It's actual constitutional doctrine. It's not theory. So what they said, so they've immediately dismissed Article 1, Section 4, the state legislatures will do the time, place, and manner of elections by calling it the independent state legislature theory. Now, here's where it gets really screwed up. So I look on, uh, I was searching last night this morning, you know, looking for articles for the show today, and I couldn't find a single one that said the independent state legislature theory is a bunch of BS. It's an, it, it is an actual fact, Article 1, Section 4 states it. All the articles, all of them. And I went, uh, usually you find a couple of conservative articles at the end of a search. I didn't have that. Every one of them said, this independent state legislature theory is a bunch of BS. Uh, this is the truth. The independent state legislature theory is the truth. The Constitution says nothing about the states you know, being able to uh, have the final word on elections. That is a lie. So the Supreme Court makes up a doctrine that doesn't exist, that cannot be justified by the Constitution, and then uses it to reach a conclusion that they can't possibly reach and then impose regulations that they cannot possibly do based on the conclusion that they can't possibly reach from a theory that they made up that doesn't exist because they didn't take into account the constitution, which says just the opposite. 
Sound about right? Well, like I said, <laughs> you're absolutely right. For them to call this a theory is it, it, a bunch of bull crap, like uh, many of the other uh, things we've heard come out of the media. The media is really the cause of this, but they're going to do mm-hmm. what the media do. And yeah. I hate to what tell you it, but mm-hmm. like I always do, it goes back to the education of the people. Right. Okay, so let's. So I agree with you. Given that, I want to outline the problems for people so they know exactly what's going on. So what if we called the Supreme Court a theory? Well, we have a theoretical justice system. <laughs> you know, I mean, what's the difference, right? Uh, you know, we have, they have theoretical powers. Well, how about the legislature has theoretical powers? Let's give the governors theoretical powers. Not real, but just theoretical. Anyway, here's an article by Jared Gann. They should the Supreme Court give an opinion. They give theories. Yeah, exactly. And the theory is, by 6 to 3, the Supreme Court voted a theory today by which they can regulate uh, the state legislature's elections, even though the Constitution says, yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, so here's an article from The Hill. What is the independent state legislature theory? That's part where I got this from. Jared Gans, G-A-N-S, and this was from 6-27-23, so two days ago, who says the Supreme Court upheld the right of courts to review the constitutionality of federal election maps produced by the state legislatures on Tuesday. That is a lie. There is no, first of all, courts don't have rights. Okay? No government entity has rights. Only people have rights. State governments and federal governments have powers that are defined. That's the definition of a republic. So again, a lot of this comes back to getting away from the definition of a republic. There is no right to review the constitutionality of federal election by the Supreme Court. It does not exist because the Constitution clearly says in Article 1, Section 4, that uh, the state legislatures do the time, place, and manner, and the, and the Congress only can do something about a regulation if it's you know flawed unconstitutional. That's pretty much the conclusion we came to. Supreme Court has no right to, to get in this process at all, right? Well, then they need to also better define what matter is, too. Well, see, that's, that's well, the thing. You know, well, I've got article, I think matter, is, matter has to do with how you uh, put a mark by a candidate's name, per se. Mm, no, the manner means how it's conducted. Uh, and, and so we'll get, I have an article on that. I'll get to that in a bit. But let me, I'm going to go through a little bit of this one first. I'm going to stick with this theory today. We've got other stuff for tomorrow, uh, more court cases. And hey, this might even go into Monday. Who knows? Um, but uh, he then says, uh, Mr. Gans then says, uh, election produced by state legislature on Tuesday, rejecting the so-called independent state legislature theory advanced by the North Carolina GOP. Okay, the North Carolina GOP is not advancing the independent state legislature theory. They're actually using the Constitution, Article 1, Section 4. So he says the case, Moore v. Harper, arose as the North Carolina Supreme Court struck down a federal congressional map approved by the state legislature as a partisan gerrymander. Okay, gerrymanders, the states have to settle that. The, the federal government, they're the, the messing with the wrong thing. Then it's the state Republican lawmakers appealed the ruling to the U.S. Supreme Court, arguing that the U.S. Constitution prevents state courts from restricting legislature's power to regulate federal elections. They were right. The Constitution does that. Because it says the states will determine it. So the states were right. So they went to the Supreme Court. And what does the Supreme Court do? Screws it up yet again. He says the lawmakers appointed to Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution, the election laws, <laughs> good reason for it, as the rationale. It's not the rationale. It's the, it's the legal justification, idiots. He says is the rationale for the independent state legislature theory which is not a theory. We know. It's, a, it's an actual fact. <laughs> then it says the clause states, that state legislatures shall set the times, places, and manner of holding elections. Well, they got that right for senators and representatives in the Senate and House, respectively. 
Then it says the Republicans argued that the text of the clause means that the North Carolina Supreme Court and the state constitution could not block the approved map. And the authority for regulating federal elections was exclusively vested in the state legislature. Well, the Republicans of North Carolina are absolutely right. The Supreme Court is wrong. Okay. Then it says, but the court denied the independent state legislature theory, which we know isn't a theory, by a 6-3 to three ruling, finding that state courts can review state legislature's actions in lawsuits over partisan gerrymandering. Now, the question is, do we want gerrymandering? No. But do we want, do we want state courts overruling state legislatures and deciding how they want the maps to look? especially if those core people are unelected. Well, this method of gerrymandering has actually got a name. It's called packing. How's that different from gerrymandering? Packing and fracking. It's called packing. You're trying to pack a district with certain people, assuming that they will vote a certain way. See, this is all about creating a congressional district that's going to be Democrat because they figure that blacks just vote Democrat. That's what it's all about. That's what is it North Carolina about, or Alabama? About, about, are, we, are we confusing you, our two cases? Well, you, or are they both the same? Do you because think? Alabama has about 25% black population. It's, it's decreasing okay. as right. we talk. Well, here's the thing. That's why I come and I say there needs to be separate ballots. Ballots for federal candidates and ballots for state and local. Now, this is what the Democrats is counting on. They count on that you're going to have illegals that can vote state and local. Yep. But if you got federal candidates on that ballot, they will walk up the ballot and vote for those federal candidates. Those illegals will. And you have no way to know who they are because there's no indication on the ballot. This is why illegal aliens can't vote. Because they're not citizens. They're not covered by the Constitution. Well, they're not now, part of what the United States. You say that. They may what? not be able to vote. They may not be able to vote federally because they're not citizens. But there's nothing stopping states and locals from letting illegal votes because yeah, they can be included in apportionment. Apportionment mentions person. It does not mention whether a person is a citizen or not. Well, I mean, the Constitution says we the people, but it doesn't mean we the people of the world, even though there are people outside the United States. So I'm going to argue with you on that one. Now, I haven't researched this enough. I want to look into a portion, but I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong because I don't think illegals can vote any time. Because voting is a citizenship, not only responsibility and duty, but a citizenship privilege and immunity, especially in the 14th no, Amendment. Not. So I don't, think, I don't think non-citizens can ever vote. Ever. Yes, they can. Anything. And they are. Because, but they can't. They here's, here's, the reason, here's the basic reason. The basic reason illegal aliens can't vote is they can't be here. And this covers everything. They can't get government services. They can't live here. They can't buy property. They can't work here. They can't do anything else. Why would you say that it's illegal for illegal aliens to vote here when they literally cannot be here? That makes no sense. Well, well see, what you're saying, they can't be, but you're missing one key thing. They what? are, and they right. are voting. Right. So in the same way, and I'll, I'll use the argument that I use against Michael P. If a bank steals a couple hundred thousand dollars, gets away with it after a certain amount of time, can they keep it? And the answer is no, because they stole it. Well, okay? if, in the, well, in the same way. That is drawn banks too. It, because yeah, if, it, they fail, if they fail to file charges against them, and sometimes well, it's not done. 
Yes, it so California do have districts uh-huh. that allow illegals to vote, especially in school district uh, uh, elections. Yeah, see, that's wrong. No, I, I, I can't quote you the specific law that says it's wrong, but I need to look into that. But it's wrong, and it's illegal just for the basic reason that they can't be here. They have no business here. They can't, they can't buy property. They can't live here. They can't work here. They can't send their kids to school here. You know, report decisions to the Congress. They can. All these things they can't do. So why would you, why would you let an illegal alien who is a criminal? And here's another thing, too. Criminal, criminal lying, Rick, is because state that? legislators have control over state elections. Not to the point of aiding criminals. See, the whole thing is that you know how <laughs> felons can't vote, right? We know that felons can't vote in elections, right? Because they're criminals and they're American citizens. So why would we allow illegal, illegal aliens who are criminals by virtue of being here to vote well, the when, when felons, felons who are paroled? New York and Chicago? Uh-huh. Wasn't New York yeah, and no. Chicago letting illegal vote state local? No, illegal aliens can't vote because they can't be here. Illegal aliens can't yes, vote because they can't participate. Yeah, I know, but you it's know, true, you though. You keep saying that, but it does, it does go on. Well, I know it Next goes point. on. Oh, lots of things go on. Hey, listen, murder goes on, but it's been illegal since Cain and Abel. Okay? So, I mean, we're not, I'm not saying what – I'm not distinguishing between what happens – because we still have laws against things, and we're not going to repeal the murder laws because murder continues. We're not going to repeal. All the right, then the... let me ask you this question: Who sure. would state that an illegal cannot vote state and local? Federal government can't tell them they're not to let them vote. Mm, I don't know about that. No, because no, the federal, the federal government, government could... cannot tell a state that you uh-huh. can't let illegals vote. I mean, that would be contradiction because the federal government controls immigration, right? The state's not. Yeah, but illegal aliens aren't immigrants. They're criminals. And we, keep, we make that point. We're going to go around in circles on this. I want, I want to continue some other stuff, but I, you know, obviously we disagree on this, and that's okay. But I think, I think you're wrong, and I think I've, I've said why, and I think you think – I know you think I'm wrong, and you said why too. So let's leave it. Let me go on some other stuff because I want to get on to the actual Supreme Court rulings and some of the more technical aspects of this. This is a pain in the butt to go through, but I think it's necessary. So let me get back to my Hill article. So the next part it says is the, the I read this already. The elections clause does not insulate state legislatures from the ordinary exercise of state judicial review. Judicial review is itself illegal. There's nothing in the Constitution that delegates the power of judicial review. So this is one problem. And in this, the Chief John Roberts wrote the majority opinion, and this is in the um, what's the case we got here? Uh, this is the Moorver Harbor. This is a North Carolina case where he says John Roberts, who is a liberal you know judge himself. He says the majority in which, the Robert, in which Roberts was joined by liberal-leaning you know, folks that, still found that courts must review legislators' actions within the, quote, ordinary bounds of judicial review and are still limited when their decision conflict with federal law. Okay, so, they, so there's another one, too. So now they're saying federal law is supreme over state law, even the state legislatures, as we just have said in Article 1, Section 4, determine the, the time, place, and manner of elections. So this is a flawed decision. So, so why do why courts have review over state actions when the Constitution specifically says that the state legislatures are in charge? That's a flawed decision, right? Well, it, it, it depends. It says time, time, places, and manner of uh-huh. election for senators and representatives. They're talking about federal senators and representatives. Yeah. And they specifically, in further a description of the case, they talk about that 
senators weren't always elected by popular vote. So they're talking mm-hmm. about the federal element of this article. But the state element of that article, they can't touch because it's overreach. And, this, and what he is saying about reviewing the state action is, is really, really wrong because the state has the right to set the, put those actions in place for its yep. state and local candidates, not the federal government. Yeah, here's, here's Justice Clarence Thomas's dissent. He says, uh, uh, to the argument that the case should have been dismissed as moot. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. He says, Thomas and Gorsuch argued against the majority opinion on merits of the case. Thomas writing that this federalization of state constitutions, so here we go, this is what you're talking about. This federalization of state constitutions will serve mainly to swell federal court dockets with state constitutional questions to be quickly resolved with generic statements of deference to the state courts. If the court had dismissed the case as moot, the argument could potentially have come up again during the lead up to the 2024 presidential election. So that's really what's going on here. So the, the state, what we're saying is neither the federal courts nor the state courts have jurisdiction over elections because it belongs to the state legislatures. I guess that's the bottom line. Make right. Sense? That's what they're trying to say. Now, yeah. the states don't have to go with it. As I said before, the states have the power, the people in the states have the power, but they won't use it correctly. They just sit back That's, and watch what happens, scratch their damn heads. Yeah. Yeah. And argue back Here's, and forth. It ain't no argument. It's common sense. Federal government yeah. has no control over what their state legislature makes unless they mm-hmm. violate somebody's rights. But their state legislature can have a separate ballot. I mean, a separate See, I, I like that bill. I, no, I know what you mean. I like that bill. I mean, I, I, was, I wasn't quite sure about it at first, but now it makes more and more sense. Now, here's a should state um, and federal elections be held on different days to ensure the separation? No, it don't have to be held on super separate days because that will be making an inconvenience for the voter. You just have two different actions going on in the same polling place. Yeah. One for over here's, here and one for over there. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, here's another article different from the American mind. John Eastman, who's one of my favorite lawyers out there. He's the only one that seems to uh, to make sense. He's talking about the constitutionality, constitutional authority of the state legislatures to choose electors. So this goes back to the 2020 election. So we, we, I think we pretty much settled both the Alabama and the North Carolina case that the Supreme Court cannot force districts nor force state court or allow state courts to overrule state legislatures. I think we pretty much established that. So this one says this is the electors. And as we know, there are seven states with Trump electors still viable that are still out there that have not been revoked, haven't been rescinded, they haven't been overturned. Uh, They're still there. And they could, cert- they could decertify their Brandon electors and put those Trump electors in at any time. So this is written, let me get you a date on this, because I think it was back a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, in fact, it was written December 1st, 2020. So this is right after the 2020 election. This is right after the, the election was stolen. And here's another place where the Supreme Court either di- failed by not taking a case, because they didn't take the Texas case, any of the cases brought before them on election fraud. See, the Supreme Court really had – that matter should have been addressed between the legislative of the states involved. That should have been a discussion between them 
then if you have opposing views in those discussions, that's the time that it goes to the courts. It can't start off in the courts because then the courts would be looked at as choosing presidents. Yep. Now, in fact, the courts, uh, contrary to what they think, the, the, the guardians of the Constitution and the Supreme Constitutional Authority, they're not. What they really are is the last place where, you, where disputes get settled. So if you, can't dispute, if you can't settle them anywhere else, if you can't agree, you can't negotiate, you can't do anything else, then you take it to court. And, then, and ultimately, the it's court like will... Family pick, feud. It's like family that? feud. Yeah. It's like a family feud. No, I agree with you. But, that's, but that, that is a legitimate function of the courts. The courts are there to solve disputes. That's their job. They're actually, they do two things. They do criminal and they do where disputes are, are settled um, between private entities and commercial entities and government and private and, and all that kind of stuff. And criminals where people are prosecuted for breaking the law. Those are the legitimate authorities of courts. So let's go to Article 3. Article 3 says the judicial power of the United States now, when they say the United States, the Constitution, this is something we should talk about, too, because the United States is not is is the federal government that was created by the states. So when they say the, the United States, it should say these United States, because it makes more sense. So the Supreme Court, the judicial part of the United States, it shall be vested in one Supreme Court. So in other words, when the states created the Constitution, they created a judiciary in Article 3. And so the authority that the United States has is the authority that the states individually or the states collectively gave to them. It says, shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts, which means, you know, lower courts, uh, as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. So the Congress has the, so the Constitution establishes the Supreme Court and the Congress can establish or establish, de-establish any other court under the Supreme Court, but they have to maintain the Supreme Court. Then it says the judges, not justices, the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts shall hold their offices during good behavior. Now, I define that staying within Article 3 and following the Constitution, not interpreting, not using judicial review, but settling cases using the Constitution and taking actions where necessary to settle disputes within the case. I agree with you, but you know how good behavior is looked at. It's mm-hmm. looked at from a civil point of view. Oh, you robbed a bank. Oh, you infidelity. Oh, you taking money from people who's arguing cases. So good behavior is looked at from a civil point of view rather mm-hmm. than performance point of view. I agree with mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. So behavior is not is not behaving the way someone would think as good. In other words, you know, good behavior to a leftist would be behaving a leftist. Not talking about here. This is this is not you know reward thing. In other words, it's following the the law. We're looking at this in terms of the constitution, in terms of the judiciary. Section two: the judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this constitution. So so you can also read that the judicial power ends with all cases in law and equity arising under this constitution. So it doesn't all cases in law and equity. It says all cases in law and equity arising under the constitution. Go ahead. Yeah, equity is when somebody brings tort against another person that needs to be settled in the court. It's like awards and damages. That's equity. Yeah, yeah I think equity is money. Uh, uh, you know, let's, let's look up equity. Let's see because the new definition is redistributing. You know, everything so that everybody has the same same thing. Yeah, that's equity not the, is that's, money. That's not the original meaning. So basically, it's all cases in law and money, which would be criminal and civil, basically. Right? Let's 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 uh, like the. Class action suits, for instance. Class action yeah, suits was, usually is for money. 
So it says, this is equality being fair and impartial. That's a new definition. That's not the original. Uh, this is a branch of law that developed alongside common law in order to remedy some of the defects in fairness and justice. I don't believe that one either. Uh, oh, the value of shares of a company. Yeah, that makes sense. The value of mortgage property, equity, da, 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 a trade union. No, no, no. So this, this is a bad definition of equity. So what we really need is the classic definition. Let me, let me see if I can look up the classic definition of equity. So let's go the found. Let's go the found the founders definition of equity. Maybe Marco helping us out. That would be like <laughs> that would be like an intimate domain when you have to award when someone say that they're not getting fair value for their property. Then they yeah. bring it to court. That's where the equity comes in. Huh. No, 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 equity. Uh, I have to look this up. I'm not getting a good one. Britannica says fairness or justice in the way people are treated and making the decisions. No, it's money. Equity is money. I think I found one here. What the heck does equity mean? The term equity is spreading like wildfire in some philanthropic circle. No, you're not giving me. I'm not, I'm not getting one. See, I know what it is. I just want, I just want confirmation. And remember, uh, words used in legalese is different than everyday life. Definition. So I should say I should say the legal definition of equity. Let's look up that and see if that makes more sense. Hang on, the legal. This is key. The legal definition of equity. And I get uh, equity. Wex Law. LL. Oh, this is my favorite one. This is Cornell. In law, the term equity refers to a particular set of remedies and associated procedures involved with civil law. These equitable doctrines and procedures are distinguished from legal ones. While legal remedies typically involve monetary damages, equitable relief typically refers to injunctions. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, hang on. I think we're on to something here. Typically involves monetary damages and relief typically refers to injunctions, specific performance, or vacatur, V-A-C-A-T-U-R. don't know what that is. A court will usually award equitable remedies when a legal remedy is insufficient or inadequate. For example, courts will generally award equitable relief for a claim which involves a particular or unique piece of real estate or the plaintiff requests specific performance. Huh. So the distinction arose in England. Here we go. This is one of the founders where there were separate courts of law and courts of equity. Well, there we go. Following this pattern in America, some states created chancery, chancery courts which deal only with equitable relief. So I'm still not getting a good definition here. So I think class action would be an equity relief as opposed to monetary damages, which would be a legal relief. This is murky. This is, murky. This is a little bit crazy. All right. Um, so I think I finished the Supreme Court. Oh, I want to go a couple more things on the Supreme Court on Article 3. Because they have so we got established law and equity, and this will this is going to be a multi-show because we need to go over uh, some certain things here. Do, 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 do. Article two, let me get back where I was. Article three, here we go. So it says judicial power. We already read that cases in law and equity arising on the Constitution. This is arising under the Constitution, comma, the laws of the United States. In other words, federal law, right? And treaties made, which is also federal, or which shall be made under their authority to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, all right, uh, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party, interesting, to controversies between two or more states. That's the one that the, that the Supreme Court had to take the Texas election case, right there, to controversies between two or more states. They have to that take that. That was the one with the election. 
You're absolutely right. right. That's the one yeah. with the election. Those controversies between those states should have been worked out between the states. If they come to an impasse, mm-hmm. then they have to seek a neutral remedy, a neutral opinion. Yep. And then they have to agree upon it. They don't have to agree. Even on mm-hmm. the opinion coming from the court, they can say, well, we, you know, we just, uh, we, we, we agree to disagree. Yeah. That's the power they have. And see, mm-hmm. Greg, until states act these, these peculiars out, you're uh-huh. always going to have these crazy problems. It just, yeah. it just takes one state, maybe two, to say, hell no. Mm-hmm. And then well, they send a message. Well, Texas should have just sent – probably actually Texas did because Trump won there. Texas sent their, their delegates, their, their Trump delegates. So, but these other battleground states, the state legislature should have rescinded the, uh, the Brandon electors and only sent the Trump electors because they're the ones that, that are in charge of the electors, and they didn't do it. See, see the biggest pro- – there's two problems here. We have, we have courts and, and other you know, parts of government taking authority they don't have, and the other problem is they're not exercising authority that they do have. That's a problem. So we lose in both, both cases. This is John Eastman from uh, right after the 2020 election, who says, in a number of jurisdictions, state executive branch officials or courts have altered state election laws in ways that may be affecting the outcome of the presidential election. This is before the, the delegate count. This is before anything. This is right after the election. They haven't even, the electors haven't even met yet when he wrote this. He says, or at the very least, creating unacceptable uncertainty about the results of the election. In Wisconsin, for example, the Wisconsin Elections Commission authorized local, local election clerks to, quote, cure spoiled ballots by adding missing addresses of witnesses in violation of state law. That's election fraud. And it directed county clerks to ignore state voter ID laws. That's also election fraud for anyone claiming they were, quote, indefinitely confined because of COVID. All right. So in other words, they were allowed to break the law because they lied. <laughs> And this is North Carolina State Board of Elections unilaterally extended the deadline for returning absentee ballots by six days beyond what is permitted by statute. That's election fraud, too. So if people say there's no election fraud. I just went through over three cases of election fraud. And this is even though the legislature itself had just recently declined to do so as it was making other charges, uh, changes to election law in response to COVID. Yeah, COVID is not a reason to change election laws. Pennsylvania. You know, do these states sound familiar? These are all the states where the problems are. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, North, Dakota, uh, North uh, what is it? Uh, sorry, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada. It's all the same states. They keep coming up again. He says, Pennsylvania Secretary of State likewise unilaterally ordered an extension of the deadline for receipt of absentee ballots contrary to Pennsylvania law. That's election fraud. A federal court in Georgia ordered an extension of the state's deadline for returning absentee ballots contrary to state law, too. So the state court judge in all the states. Again, folks, Michigan, Wisconsin, right, ordered that state's deadlines for receipt of absentee ballots extended by two full weeks, again, contrary to state law. So if anybody's looking for election fraud, it's massive. It's all the places where either governors or secretaries of state or anybody else in the state violated both the election laws and the directions of the state legislatures. And yet the, the courts didn't do anything. So the courts abdicated their responsibility to uphold the Constitution and took jurisdiction over jurisdiction over, which is the time, place, and manner of elections. Two flaws at the same time. Interesting, huh? Jackie's thinking. Well, it still gets back to the same thing: is that uh, it gets back to the same point of view. 
if yep. states don't utilize the power that they have. They don't speak out. Yeah. Speaking up and speaking out is two different things. Well, a lot of times they misplace the supremacy clause. People think the supremacy clause the is the supreme, uh, or the federal government is, is uh, exactly. Constitution is the supreme law of the land, which it is. But it's only supreme where the authority is delegated to the government. So it says the supreme law um, of the United States. What is the law of the United States? Well, that's what comes out of the federal government. What is the federal government restrained by? Well, it's restrained by the Constitution. So the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, actually restricting the federal, federal government. I mean, You're absolutely right. And the Bill of, right, Bill of Rights restrict the states. Uh-huh. Because what you remember? Initially. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let me see if I can find that, that clause. Where, where is the clause that says... Do, 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 do. Where's the supremacy clause? Do you know and people have taken it as being a natural. And, and that's, that's another thing. People uh-huh. have subconsciously uh, making it something that it really is not. Uh-huh. Because what it's doing, what they've done, is made the federal government over the states when it's the other way around. And then, too, you have to ask yourself a logical question. And why mm-hmm. are you voting state and local? Then you vote federal. Uh, it, it's, uh, they are opposing actions. Yeah. If you vote state and local, then why do you vote federal and say the federal has control over state and local? Yeah. Here's a section that never gets used by the, uh, the, the Republicans because they're a bunch of geldings. Section 7, uh, Article 1, Section 7, all bills for raising revenue shall be in the House of Representatives, but the Senate may propose or concur with amendments as on other bills. So all bills for raising revenue. Now, it doesn't say all, bill, it doesn't say all revenue bills. It says all bills for raising revenue. So that would be tax, right? So all, all revenue bills don't have to originate in the House, but all, all tax bills do. Hmm, that's interesting. Everybody thinks it's the other way around. Well, it's all revenue you, bills. Well, taxes all is raising revenue. Yeah. Yeah, taxes is raising revenue. Well, but it's not, but it's not revenue bills. Most people think the Constitution says revenue bills. It's not. All right. I'm looking for the supremacy clause. I'm going to find it here real quickly. If I can, I'll just look it up. Because people need to understand that what, what the Constitution, the, the Supreme the federal government is not supreme over everything. Let me just look that up all quickly here. Supremacy clause, supreme. And I got a caller I'm going to get to in a bit. See if I know who it is. Supremacy clause, supremacy clause, Constitution, Article Six, Clause Two. Ah, now I know what it is. Article Six, Clause Two. Do 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 do. Do you know how many, you know how many uh, articles there are in the Constitution? Quick trivia question. Going once, going twice. What'd you say? Do you know how many clauses? I didn't hear it. Do you, know how, do you know how many articles there are in the Constitution? It's twenty-seven, is it? No, twenty-seven no, a minute. You got seven articles. Uh, seven articles. That's seven now. It used to be ten. No, it's only seven articles. That's the Bill of Rights is ten. All right, here we go. Article six, section two, Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof. In other words, the law is made under the Constitution. So what are the laws of the United States? Is that state law or federal law? Laws of the United States is those Roman statutes. No, laws of the United States is federal law. Laws of the United States is not state law. So in other words, the Supremacy Clause only applies to 
um, the laws of the United States. In other words, the supremacy clause is only so the Constitution is over the list of the United States. That's what the supremacy really well, is. Even, right, like like FAA and like mm-hmm. uh, IRS Title Twenty Six, right. and mm-hmm. you know Forty Two for immigration, and so on, so on, so on. Yeah. Who have I got on the line here? Oh. Ah, CJ's in here early. Okay, let's bring her on early. Um, hey, CJ, you want to get in on this conversation? Or you want to listen? Hello, CJ. Going once, going twice. I guess she's listening. Can you uh-huh. hear me? Yeah, I can hear you Hello? now. You muted yourself. Yeah, Sorry, you're on now. I had four phone calls coming in at, at one time. I'm going to just tune in and listen. I hate that I missed what you, what you did earlier because I've got to take care of my, some things with my daughter before I come on, but um, I want to tune in to listen. Okay, tell you what. I'll leave you line live. Mute yourself. That oh. way you can listen. But if you want to join us, just unmute and, and, and join the conversation. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So CJ is our, our wellness thing. So we have a nutrition person, but I, you know, we like to cross over stuff um, all the time. In fact, I've invited her to join us. Um, I see you got three do, minutes. Uh, what's that? Fifty-seven. It's three minutes to the top of the hour. That's okay. No, she's on. She's on an hour. We have another hour to go. You know, we got plenty of time. All right. So we got that's what the supremacy clause is. And so, so what people mistake, and here's here's the part that people screw up. It says the Constitution and the laws of the United States, in other words, federal law, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, which are also, you know, uh, you know, under the laws of the United States, uh, or shall be made under the authority of the United States. So here's the key one: under the authority of the United States. Well, what's under the authority of the United States? That's the federal government um, and the Constitution shall be the supreme law of the land. Right. The federal government has to be given. Yeah, the federal government has to give its authority from something other than itself. Uh So the authority either comes for, in particular, the Constitution or even the states give it authority. Yeah. But it says, you know, treaties uh, treaties and laws which shall be made under the authority of the United States. Well, the only, only thing that's under the authority of the United States is what the Constitution says is under the authority of the United States. So when they say the supremacy clause, people think the federal government is supreme over the states, and it's not. The supremacy clause doesn't say that. It says that the Constitution and laws of the United States which shall be made pursuant thereof, and all treaties made to the duh, shall be you know, under the authority of the United States. Well, only, the only thing that can be under the authority of the United States is what's made under the Constitution. And the laws have to be under the Constitution. So the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, but it's only the federal government is only supreme where it has jurisdiction. It only has jurisdiction where the Constitution says where it, it doesn't. Then you have Amendment Ten, right? Yeah, exactly. That's that's another, that's that goes along with this too. It's probably why they put it in there. But this is this is this is a little less clear, but it really says the same thing. This is this Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States. Well, the, you know, if you look at the United States, the United States really means the federal government. Okay. So what is under the authority of the federal government? Well, what's under the authority of the federal government is what the Constitution says is under the authority of the federal government. And the Constitution does not say the federal government has power over the states. The Constitution specifically says in the Tenth Amendment, as you just pointed out, right, that things that are not specifically delegated to the federal government belong to the states and to the people. 
So the supreme law of the land only extends to, the Constitution only extends it to federal law when such laws are constitutional. And that delegation comes from the Constitution. So what it means is that uh, the Supreme Court cannot go rogue and make laws, you know, that are in violation. The Supreme Court is supposed to make laws anyway. They're supposed to hear the, the job yeah, oh yeah, of I know the court is to listen to arguments. That's great. You and I and, and the other guests could be a judge. <laughs> well, so I want to be a Supreme Court we judge. Could I be a judge. I want to be one. We don't have I to, to be, be a lawyer to be a judge contradicts judicial review because it says that uh, only those things made under the authority of the United States. Well, judicial review is not under the authority of the United States. That's an, that's a, an undelegated power that the Supreme Court has assumed. So that since that that's power doesn't that exist, comes out of the, it comes out of the Supreme Court itself. Right. Right. So because that power was made up, it wasn't made under the authority of the United States, which is the Constitution. And laws. There is no law. The, 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 the Supreme Court was never given by law the ability to do judicial review. I don't think the Congress could do that anyway. I think you'd have to have a constitutional amendment to add that power. Same thing with interpretation. There's no interpretation clause in the Constitu- in Article 3. So that there's two, two separate clauses that would be required to be there for the Supreme Court to do what they're doing. One, be given the power of judicial yeah. review by the states. And two, be given the power of interpretation of the Constitution by the states. Because the power of interpretation implies that they're the final authority. They're the only ones who can say what the Constitution means. That's why this power of interpretation is so dangerous, and most people miss that. Well, it is dangerous. And also, what has happened, judicial mm-hmm. review has scooted over, have scooted yep. over a seat toward interpretation of the Constitution. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Yep. It's just like looking at a stop sign. A stop sign. S-T-O-P, octagon, red. Now, one person argue that it means slow down but keep going. The other person argue it means stop. Well, then this is where the court says, well, look at it. It says stop. Not yeah. slow down and keep going. Stop. Mm-hmm. That's where the courts come into play. If Agreed. the two arguing factions can't come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the courts can't say we're going to add a fourth color. <laughs> we're going to add another color to the traffic lights. You know, say so we're going to add uh, we're going to add green. No, that's already there. I'm sorry. We're going to add blue. <laughs> we're going to put blue lights in there as well. You know, and that's and that's what they would do. That's what they think they can do now. I got one more section. I don't know if I read much more of this. It says this is back to electors uh, in the 2020 election. Eastman says all of these actions are undermining the constitutional authority of the legislature of each state to determine quote the manner in which the state's presidential electors are appointed. So let's go into because we had had that question before about manner. It says see Constitution Article Two. Da, 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 each state shall appoint in such manner. Okay, so we know what that means, right? Uh, and then it says the number of electors to, electors to which it's entitled. The question is, what can be done about it? For most of the violations, the damage has already been, you know, irretrievably done. Ballots, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping to get it to manner. I mean, he doesn't discuss that in the article. I have so many articles, I didn't get a chance to really go through them all carefully. All right, let me go back to, let me see if I can find you some more um, stuff that's really quite fascinating. And I got that decision, the eight to one decision. Now we'll handle immigration later. I got like three separate windows, each with about five articles each. This is why it's, it's such a mess morning. Uh, birthright citizenship, now we're going to hold and on. And see, another one. problem comes in, too, is uh-huh. when people refuse, when people refuse to listen to their reading eyes, 
They don't yeah. want to believe what they're reading is what they're reading, and they want to come up with some other interpretation. That brings about confusion and problems. Yep. And I think Here's that's because of idiocy. Let's get on to um, – well, Marco hasn't made comments yet. I wonder what Marco thinks of this. Marco's our, our, our person in the Netherlands who listens uh, pretty much every day, which is great. All right, so the question is judicial review. And we're going to do – we've done shows on this. We're going to do more shows on this because the court uses this in ways uh, – they've made up a power, and they use it, and people look at you know, it's like, uh, you know, a bank robber who steals money from a bank and keeps it for 20 years. So, well, it's mine now. I, you know, you hey, I've, I've been spending this money for years. You know, you let me do it. So it's your problem. You know, and that's not true. That's not how law works. So it's so the Britannica, the Encyclopedia Britannica, a rather authoritative source, says judicial review. This is a British source. This is why it's interesting to get their opinion. Judicial review in the United States. Because judicial review in the United States has been a model for other countries, it is appropriate to devote some discussion to it body of constitutional law it has produced. Think about that for a section. For a second. Judicial review is not in the Constitution. There is no ability of the Supreme Court to to take to say what the Constitution means and to take basically legislative action or remedial action to fix things according to their ideology. And yet that's what they do. So so these people already have it wrong in the first sentence. Talking about a body. Yeah, he got it wrong. Yeah. And you know who telepath who telegraph it to wrong further? It's the news media. News media telegraph it to the public. That's the yeah. only way the public gets most of this news. Not only is news, but the public is educated mm-hmm. and it's being miseducated with the news that's coming out. Yeah. Well they we just went over that that they said that the independent judicial independent state election theory is just a theory. Or or independent theory is, is real. And uh, the they don't have the power. So that's, that's total lie. So here it says, the article, go back to Encyclopedia Britannica, says despite its overwhelming importance, judicial review is not explicitly mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. Well, they've just said it's not a power delegated to the Supreme Court right with that sentence. Whether it's overwhelming importance or not, it doesn't matter. It could be trivial. It could be monumentously, is that a word? Monumentally important. It doesn't matter. If it's not delegated, it doesn't exist. They don't have that power. Now, this is a reason for getting rid of them, right? Is that not behavior? Yeah. Your behavior mm-hmm. has went went uh, far and beyond what you were delegated to do. Mm-hmm. You got bad behavior. Get rid of them. Exactly. Exactly. So any, any, any judge of the Supreme Court who has exercised judicial review – now, let's separate judicial review from their constitutional authority to handle cases in law and equity. See, this is the line that nobody draws. This is why I, need to, I want to get some different folks on the show just kind of win this. But where would you draw the line between cases in law and equity, which they are constitutionally you know, mandated to take and resolve, and judicial review, which extends beyond the Constitution to basically make regulation policy and, and uh, declare what the Constitution says. That's the Well, equity comes in the settlement. Mm-hmm. The settlement comes in the evidence at hand in the case. So they're separate. That's a whole different thing right there. So if you yeah. bring a case, yeah, mm-hmm. you ran over my dog and killed him. That's the case. Mm-hmm. What's the equity? Yeah. Well, how much does it cost to replace the dog? That's what the argument goes on. And they have to put yeah. a monetary value. 
Yeah, let me make it a little more general. Uh, I, I think I think I'll give you another side of this question. So we ask uh, is where do you draw the line between the constitutional mandate of Article Three to settle cases in law and equity and the extra constitutional power, the power beyond the Constitution of judicial review, where the courts have decided that they can decide what's constitutional, what isn't, what the Constitution means, and provide a remedy. That's the line that we have to draw. And basically, that's it. That's where I draw it. You know, they can they can handle the cases. Well, you got a lot of law. They, look at death when death sentence when. Uh, the person pleads to the Supreme Court on the case that's putting in the death. That there is law. Mm, I don't think we're talking about two Right. Well, yeah, equity. Equity is not no equity. There is the law. Was the law followed? In no, I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to define law and equity. I'm, I'm not trying to define law and equity. I'm trying to I give you a line. So what's the okay? Between the line between says judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under the Constitution, the laws of the United States, treaties made. Because that's their job. Cases in law and equity. So to me, the power shall extend to all cases in law and equity is also the limitation to only cases. That's what I'm arguing. That because the, Constitu- the Constitution is both, and I haven't thought about this until just now, but the Constitution is both a grant of power and a limitation of power. So if the Constitution says the judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity, it also says the judicial power cannot extend beyond cases in law and equity, right? That's what I'm arguing. So the line, the line then becomes... Anytime the Supreme Court goes beyond cases in law and equity. And also says laws, treaties made, things like that. So when the Constitution goes beyond cases, laws, or treaties, they have gone beyond the Constitution, and that is a place they can't go. Judicial review goes beyond the Constitution. Interpreting goes beyond the Constitution. Prescribing rules, remedies, procedures, laws, regulations goes beyond the Constitution. That is in line. The line that I guess I'm to establish is, is that they have the absolute power over cases in law and equity, but they can be, go beyond cases in law and equity, treaties and laws and things like that. Does that make sense? Let's see if CJ wants to come in on this one too. I think it makes sense. That's why I said it. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's continue. This is fun. I'll probably take a break before CJ comes. Maybe Pianchi had to, had to duck out for a minute. I'm still broadcasting. Yeah, I'm still broadcasting. All right. You can still hear me. Just checking in. Hello, hello? Wait a minute. What's going on? All right. What's next? Okay. You can hear me still? Okay, good. (laughs) Just want to check. All right. There we go. When I I hear too much silence, I get worried. All right. So I want to continue with this article because it's really quite fascinating. And uh, it says, despite, despite its overwhelming importance, in other words, so, so they put a value judgment on judicial review. The Encyclopedia Britannica is overwhelmingly important. They say it's not really meant in the U.S. Constitution, which it doesn't exist. So something that they, they, they declared something overwhelmingly import, important and just admitted in the same sentence that it doesn't exist. That's fascinating in itself. Then it says, indeed, 
It is itself a product of judicial construction. What does that mean? I know what it means. What do you think it means? If something's a product of judicial construction and it's not in the Constitution, what does it mean? I don't know. Something else they don't made up. Exactly. What it means to me is they made up their own power. Okay, because if the judiciary constructed it, and it means it wasn't there before, it wasn't in the Constitution, the judiciary constructed it. In other words, they made up their own power. And then it says in Marbury versus Madison, 1803, which to me is the worst decision in, in our history, is the beginning of judicial charity. It says, this, it says, the Encyclopedia Britannica, our very lofty source here, says the Supreme Court ruled that because the Constitution clearly states that it is the Supreme Court land and it is the province of the judiciary to uphold the law, the courts must declare state laws and even acts of Congress null and void when they are inconsistent with a provision of the Constitution. That is absolute BS. Think about this. This is the fundamental problem. This is why they, they, uh, the Supreme Court has no problem saying that the state courts can rule over elections, even though clearly they can't. This is why the Constitution this is why the Supreme Court, in everything from gay marriage to to anything else they've done, to gun laws, name it. They think that it says here because the Constitution clearly states that it is the supreme law of the land. That's not what it, we just went over this. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land where it has the authority under the United States. So in other words, let me read that again because this is confusing. If I'm confused, I guess everybody else, you know, anybody else can be confused too. Uh, Article 6, Section 2. The supremacy is very clear. So, so this is where people get messed up. Once we get this clear, we can go on other cases. But it's the Supreme Court, because the Constitution clearly states that it's the supreme law of the land. Clearly states that what is the supreme law of the land? And because it is the province of the judiciary to uphold law, what, it, what they're saying, what this article says, is the Supreme Court is the supreme law of the land. Right? That's what it sounds like. And that's simply not well, true. Yeah, the Supreme Court cannot be the supreme law of the land because, first, judges are not supposed to make laws. Right. So let's go to the supremacy and laws. The, and, and their decisions, mm-hmm. and furthermore, their decisions, that's why some they enter into consent decrees. This consent decree is an agreement between two parties, maybe more. That's all right. it is. Yeah. So let me, let me do this paragraph again, the Supremacy Clause, because this is, and this is what we're taught. This is an authority people are reading. This is where media gets their information, and the Supreme Court loves it because they get powers that they don't have. Well, listen, I want to read this again. The Supreme Court ruled that. First of all, the Supreme Court can't rule, right? So that's a mistake. Then it says, because the Constitution clearly states that it is the supreme law of the land. In other words, the Supreme Court is the supreme law of the land. So Marbury versus Madison, the fundamental law and the biggest mistake is that John Marshall, the Supreme Court, the, the Supreme Court chief judge, said that he and the Supreme Court are the supreme law of the land. That's why it's wrong. And everybody misses that. Let me go over this again. Article says, this is Britannica, because the Constitution clearly states that it is the supreme law of the land, in other words, the Supreme Court, uh, because it is the province of the judiciary to uphold the law. That's not true either. Every government branch has to uphold the law. That is, the courts must declare state 
based on even acts of Congress, null and void, when they are inconsistent with the provision of the Constitution. That's actually true. That part is true. They do have the power to declare state laws and acts of Congress null and void if they violate a provision of the Constitution. That's true, but that's all they can do. But they have to use the Constitution, not interpret it. In other words, they can't say what they think the Constitution means, which comes under review. All they can go by is what it says. And by what it says, use the Constitution, absolutely. That is their province of declaring state, uh, uh, state laws from the 14th Amendment and acts of Congress avoid, and even presidential executive orders can be declared unconstitutional, well, also, but only if they can it, find a provision in the Constitution to use to declare them unconstitutional. Does that make sense? Go ahead. Well, if they can't write laws, how can they strike them down? Can, can they make an opinion? Then the people that made the law will go back to the drawing board and look at what is at the, what the issue is. Yeah, see, that's a good question. Um, I think they have to have the the power to be able to either strike down or suspend or put an injunction on the law. But they can't change the law. They can put an injunction on the law. Means that, yeah, they can put an I can see them putting an injunction on the law and say, hey, wait a minute here, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you then can't at do that this. point in time, the participating parties or the originating parties, they take a look at it. Yeah. yeah. Now, so at the originating can... parties say that we don't see where this is a non-constitutional, mm-hmm. then the Supreme Court really shouldn't have to go no further. I mean, that's it. Unless you tell well, specifically see, how it's wrong. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, now, knowing that there are three branches of government, if the Congress passes a law that overturns a Supreme Court opinion, that should be in the same way that the Supreme Court can overturn a law passed by Congress if they find it unconstitutional. But if the Congress and the president get together and overrule the Supreme Court and say, no, you're wrong. This is a perfectly valid law. Screw you. See, that's the part they don't do because they think the Supreme Court is supreme because of this judicial, judicial review because they declared themselves the supreme law of the land. The Constitution doesn't say that. It only says that – I'm going to this one more time because it's really, it's really critical. The Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof that it uh, shall be the supreme law of the land. Oh, here we go. Uh, supreme, so in other words, Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof. So in other words, laws made under the Constitution and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States. In other words, the federal government shall be the supreme law of the land and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. So You need to write your note. So there's supreme where right, the judges in every state shall be bound thereby only under laws made under the authority of the United States. In other words, federal law. So this is a little confusing, right? It, 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 right. You've you got to wrestle with it. The judges are bound under the federal law. They well, are trying to, it's, it's, it's application of the law. So the judges apply the application of the law in, in cases. Mm-hmm. You've done this, but the law says that. Exactly. Now, can the state courts challenge federal laws? Sure. They should be able to. Yeah. Well, you know, theoretically, in the process of, uh, what do you call this? 
expending all options, they really don't. Because you're supposed to expend all options you had have with lower courts before you proceed your way up to the higher court. You know, local courts, yeah. state courts. No, I agree. But what I think this says is that the the Constitution. So, the, but but it gets confusing because the states are the ones who created the Constitution. So the federal government is bound by the Constitution. Where the federal government has jurisdiction, they can make laws, and those laws are supreme. So the states, you know, they can't change. Well, I don't know. I guess it gets to be a mess. As I'm listening to you talk talk about this, and I'll t- tell you this um, later because I'm not in front of my computer right now. Um, okay. Everything that you're going through is so interesting, and what's going on in my head is it it it's just such an oxymoron that. We have the Constitution, right? And it's almost right. like reading the fine print, whether it's in mm-hmm. vaccines, whether it's in a procedure, whether it's in whatever, like buying a house. I mean, right now, the way things are, you have to read the fine print for loopholes. And when you're talking about, you know, being in a court system or all the stuff, crap that we're going through right right now, it's mm-hmm. interesting to me how the quote-unquote, and I don't like using this word, authorities, whatever, judges, you know, people in such positions, which we know is a bunch of baloney, um, mm-hmm. how they pick and choose what they want to pay attention to in the original Constitution, you know, and throw stuff out that they think, oh, well, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to abide by this, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. So, you know, the Constitution can say all these things. You can read the fine print, and they always find loopholes, or they make a decision as to what they're going to choose to um uphold and what they are not. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I can sum it up, I'm trying to think of a, of a good way to say it. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. In other words, Correct. nothing can, but it can be amended. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. The laws that are, that are under the Constitution that have been judged constitutional you know, are also uh, the supreme law of the land where the federal government has jurisdiction. In other words, where the Constitution has delegated authority to the federal government to make law. And that would be Article 1, where the legislature can make laws. That's it. Now, the states have to abide by federal laws if they're constitutional. But if the states find they're unconstitutional, if they go outside the Constitution, outside the authority, then they can can suspend them in the same way that uh, federal judges can suspend stuff. Go ahead, Bianchi. Well, it's only where they're applicable because what you have now when you call federal laws is nothing more than rules that a federal official over a certain department like the RS have made and it hasn't been challenged yet. You are living under something that you could challenge and find yeah. out you don't have to live with it. Yeah. But do you know what in the Supremacy Clause? The Supreme Court. The Supremacy Clause. The Constitution, the laws of the United States made under the authority of the Constitution. That's what's supreme. What's not supreme, what's not mentioned, is the Supreme Court. So what Marbury versus Madison, this is why it's such a flawed decision and set the, uh, the precedent for all the flawed decisions to follow up until this day, back in 1903, said the Supreme Court ruled, this is according to Encyclopedia it says ruled that because the Constitution clearly states that it is the supreme law of the land. It does not say, Constitution does not say the Supreme Court is the, is the supreme law of the land. It's just the opposite. This is the Constitution is. And it says because it is the province of the judiciary to uphold the law, 
the courts must declare state laws and even acts of Congress null and void when they're inconsistent with the provision of the Constitution. So where's the check and balance on the, on the Supreme Court? The article doesn't say that. Article the Supreme Court pronouncements on questions of constitutionality are final and binding for all other courts and government authorities, whether state or federal. That is a lie. That is simply not true. That's not what the Supremacy Clause says. Think about that. It says the same principle holds with regard to executive actions contrary to the Constitution. Supreme Court pronouncements, in other words, opinions, on questions of constitutionality are final and binding for all other courts and authorities, whether state or federal. So what it is, the Supreme Court declared that it is the supreme law of the land, that all its decisions are final and binding on all other branches of government. That's a total crock. Absolutely wrong. And yet, that's what people believe. That's what they're being taught. It's right here in the second. Well, it on on, yeah, but it, see, it has to depend on what the law is. Like, look at your Second Amendment law when it says that an 18-year-old at a, mm-hmm. at a state level or it may have been a local level saying 18-year-olds can't own guns. Well, then that's where the Supreme Court comes in and says, well, that law is unconstitutional. Right. Yeah, 18-year-olds can own guns, and, and the state of Florida, which says they can't, can't do that. If the age of majority is 18, then 18-year-olds can own guns. You can't. That would be that would violate the equal protection of the laws. If you say that only 21-year-olds and above can own guns, then that violates the equal protection of 18-year-olds. Because if you're, if you're an adult at 18, you cannot be an adult and be denied you know, the ability to own guns, especially being a fundamental right in the Constitution. Uh, there's more to this article, but I want to go into it. I want to go to another article because this one I haven't read yet. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. It says, uh, how the founders intended um, to check the power of the Supreme Court's power. This is something we haven't talked about. Any other points before I get into this one? Go on once, going twice? Well, I was going to say it's not the ownership of a gun <laughs> that causes the problem. It's the use. A 12-year-old can own a gun, and they have. Yeah, 12-year-olds have saved their whole families uh, during home invasions. Yeah, but they can own guns. It's not, like I say, it's not the ownership, it's the uses that causes the problems. Yeah, we talked about that before, too. Not to say a 12-year-old is more likely to call a user inappropriate, no more mm-hmm. so than a 40-year-old, because we see what goes on in that age group. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if 16-year-olds can learn to drive and operate motor vehicles, why can't 16-year-olds you know, own and carry guns? 16-year-olds can fly planes. I, I know. I was one of them. <laughs> I was flying around New England by myself at 16. I've used that argument, too. Yeah. When did you start flying? Well, how old were you when you started flying? I don't know. I don't really want to tell. Even at this age, I can get in trouble. <laughs> okay, fine. All right. So so what age did you legally start flying? <laughs> I will save that question for another day. All right. Let me get to this article here. Uh, Politico which surprises me. They actually published this one. Politico, uh, it says, opinion, how the founders intended to check the Supreme Court's power. So this is before judicial review. And this is why I want to, I wish I had time to read this one ahead of time. But it says, the president and Congress can check SCOTUS, that's the Supreme Court, power when they believe the justices have exceeded their mandate. This might be the best way to save the court from itself. It's probably the bit, pretty much the basis of our show. Uh, I've got here... 
Who wrote the article? Joshua Zeitz, Z-E-I-T-Z. Um, 7 3 so August 3rd of, of last year. So this is yeah, a little less than a year old. He says, last December, during oral arguments in Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization, the case in which the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, it's not overturned, they corrected. Roe v. Wade was an illegal decision. Let's, let's, let's state this really clearly. Roe v. Wade could not have existed because the Supreme Court has no power to make national policy on abortion. They have no power to make national policy on anything. So they corrected that. Anyway, then he says, Justice Sonia Sotomayor noted that, quote, there's so much that's not in the Constitution, including the fact that we had the last word. <laughs> no, you don't. She says, Marbury versus Madison. There is not anything in the Constitution that says that the court, the Supreme Court, is the last word on the, oh, here, sorry. Yeah. All right, let me do this. It makes more sense. So Sotomayor, one of the most leftist judges on the court, said there's so much that's not in the Constitution, including the fact that we have the last word. Marbury versus Madison. And it says there is not anything in the Constitution. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, please. She's an Obama appointee, thus uh-huh. the logic that's in her head. And another point, it's mm-hmm. not what's not in the Constitution. It's what that is in the Constitution that authorized your behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so if it's not, in it, it's not for you to make something up. If it's exactly. not in there, then your response is, is that I have not the authority to deal in this issue. That's what I'm arguing. Now, she's arguing it's not there, but we have the last word, so we can do it anyway. What she's saying is that Marbury versus Madison, a case that John Marshall wrote an opinion on, giving himself and the rest of the court this mythical power of judicial review that's not in the Constitution, to this day is causing problems. Because she said, let me get her whole quote here, because it's really fascinating. The the quote marks went went longer than I thought. She says, there's so much that's not in the Constitution, including the fact that we had the last word. Marbury versus Madison. There is not anything in the Constitution that says that the court, the Supreme Court, is the last word on what the Constitution means. It was totally novel at that time. And yet, what the court did was reason from the structure of the Constitution that that's what it intended. That's judicial construction. So Marbury yeah, versus Madison, she's wrong. she's wrong. She's absolutely wrong. CJ, you can yeah. join us here if you want to. <laughs> she's she absolutely gets wrong. Her directions, she gets her directions on what is in the Constitution. It's yeah. not what's not in the Constitution. If it's not in the Constitution, it means that it's not is in the Constitution, then you have no direction to go on something that don't exist. And how can she say what was intended to be in the Constitution. What if I said the Second Amendment really intends not only for people to be able to own and carry guns, but be given guns by the government? Because how can you own and carry them if you can't, be, if you, if you, if you can't afford one? You should be given one, right? Well, that, that's what they meant. That's, that's what I'm interpreting as their intention. That's what she does. What's the difference? Well, if you want to apply... The, the if you want to apply the destitute and the underprivileged in that particular area, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. You want to so give them food. Wait, yeah. You want to give them food. You want to give them medical care sure. for the welfare. They know give them guns. Yeah, general welfare means everybody should have welfare. <laughs> well, that's what they intended. They just didn't know it at the time. Yeah. So this is why this is so dangerous because not only do the leftist judges believe this, the conservative judges believe it too, except for um, to a limited extent, uh, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito, the only two judges who are worth anything. 
But, you, you know, the three conservative stooges that, that Trump appointed and the leftist judges, not one of them should be on the court because they don't understand the limitation that we just explained. This should be, this should be taught in law school. I, I got an article here on, on does anybody, did they teach constitutional law in law school anymore? I'll get to that one uh, maybe here in a little bit. But think about this. She, let me just get the first sentence because she really, yeah, go ahead. I want to go over this again. This is critical. No, I'm going to say now you validate my argument that each state should appoint a Supreme Court judge for a limited no, I don't time. Agree. No, I don't agree. Well, I do, because... and I'll tell you a reason why. Because okay. then it would work itself out. It would even itself out. And in more generally, it would even itself out in a way it should be rather than a perception that like what she just put forth. I think it would get unwieldy, and uh, would those judges be appointed by the state legislatures, or would they be uh, popularly elected? How would you do They'd it? They would be appointed by the state. They would be appointed however means that the, the state comes up with. I mean, like the electors, you know, maybe that way. If you got, if you got each state being represented by a judge, it's more fairly even. The majority mm-hmm. of your judges on the court now, where do they come from? Harvard? So they're coming from what, Massachusetts? How many judges yeah. you got coming from Washington State? How many they coming come from, from uh, yeah. New Mexico? Yeah, they all come from Harvard and Yale. It's almost guaranteed that. If that we can look places. at the United States and say that the United States is effectively 11 different countries, which it is, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the opinion up in Maine is different than in Florida. How they mm-hmm. look at the death penalty in Maine is different than how they look at it in Florida. Well, then you need to have that representation, that sentiment in a judge sitting on the court. So let each state appoint one and come up with a method of breaking a tie if there ever is one. Now, see, I think the state courts already had that, that power to, to uh, void things that the Supreme Court does. I think it would be unwieldy at the confirmation hearings for 50 judges would be, would be horrible to implement. Uh, and I actually like the original court, which had six. Because that way, um, how many state supreme courts do you have? Every state has one. It's fifty state supreme courts. Mean you got fifty state supreme judges. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting argument. I don't think it would work, and I don't I don't think it's a good idea. I think that the state courts should be able to take up anything that's unconstitutional from the federal government, because anything that the federal government does that's unconstitutional can be ruled as such by the states. They can say, look, I'm not going to enforce this. This is constitutional. You can't do it. You can't take money for it. You can't enforce it. You can't require it. It's like those, those voting, the, even the things the Supreme Court did. And, you know, Alabama could say, you know, pound sand. We're not going to create two black don't the districts. Tell, don't the Constitution say that the Supreme Court is the inferior, I mean, is the superior court and the state courts are the inferior court? No, it doesn't. No. No, in fact, the only, it only covers the federal courts. So the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court of the federal judiciary. The state courts aren't even mentioned in the Constitution. They're independent. You, I take that back. You're right. You're right about that. Yeah. But each, each state has – how did the federal courts be assigned? The federal court assigned to a state at the state level, the state appellate court? Yeah. Well, there are, uh, there are circuits and districts – all right, so the way it works, I think a district is the lowest federal court, and the circuit court has so many districts in it, uh, and then uh, 
and then the, the appellate court is where they go when the circuit courts can't decide, and then the Supreme Court is where they go when the appellate court can't decide. So it's circuit court, yeah. district court, appellate court, and Supreme Court. I think that's how they divided it up. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, that makes sense. But I still yeah. contend that uh, each court should have, each state should have a judge. On the Supreme Court? Yeah. I, I, I think, the country, I think right? Yeah, I think no. I, I think the, the the state courts should start taking more responsibility because they can void things if they say if they have a policy that comes out of the federal government or a Supreme Court you know decision like Roe v. Wade for example. So any state could have said this is an illegal decision. Put it through their state court. Put it through the state legislature and say, look, you can't enforce this. You can't make policy. You can't tell us what to do about abortion. You have no jurisdiction. First of all, it's not mentioned in the Constitution. Yeah, but not even health is mentioned. If I get a Massachusetts court to say that, you yeah, may get a Mississippi court to say that, or well, that's Florida, or yeah. uh, Alabama, but, uh, mm-hmm. but a Massachusetts court, they're going to say that. No, but they don't have to. That's up to the people of Massachusetts to make their state do one or the other. And if people in Massachusetts favor abortion up until the ninth month, I think that would be a violation of just basic human rights, basic rights to life, liberty, and, and uh, you know, pursuit of happiness and property. Mexico, and that's what the federal uh, government is supposed to do. New Mexico does that. They give you yeah. the option to have an abortion right at the time of birth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to get into a whole big states' rights thing right now or state power thing, but I think you're right that we've got to talk about that more. I mean, I don't have a clear thing in my head as I do here where it says very clearly that the Supreme Court believes that they are the ultimate authority, and that's what I'm trying to challenge. And the and state courts wrong. can challenge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But listen to what she says. She actually says there's so much that's not in the Constitution, okay? And then she says uh, what the court did was reason from the structure of the Constitution that that's what was intended. So in other words, they use their power of reason, as they say, to make stuff up. Now, if you're really using reason, how do you make stuff up? Go ahead. Look at who appointed. See, in order to get get on a... Uh, a mind way with these people. You have to look at who nominated them. Well, you also have to look where they In went to law case, school. <laughs> so, so they went to law school at Harvard and Yale. They learned that the Supreme Court is the supreme. They think the Supreme Court is the supreme law of the land because that's what they were told. You know, you listen to anybody, even the conservatives that went through uh, uh, the hearings. And I watched uh, Frat Boy Kavanaugh's and Coney Barrett's. Uh, I think I watched Gorsuch too, but that was a while ago. Uh, and they all said the same thing. You know, Marbury versus Madison is settled law. Judicial review is an established policy. What's that? Wasn't Obama the president of Harvard Law School? Well, he was. He was. uh, He was. Well, I don't think there's a student president. I think he was head of law review. In other words, he was the head of the law review. Is where they write their articles. Yeah, that's good. Let me finish this article. Say that again. Okay. Yeah, I want to get this done because we got to CJ in about 20 minutes. Although she's happy to, she's welcome to join anytime. So this is what the, so that was the Sotomayor comment. It was one of the worst, most illegal, unconstitutional things ever said that I've read. And here's what the article, here's what our author says about it. He says it was remarkable. It was a remarkable observation. Sotomayor's primary intent was to argue that rights and prerogatives need not be explicitly delineated in the Constitution for them to exist. The right to privacy, more specifically, the right to terminate a pregnancy, does not appear anywhere in the document, but neither does the Supreme Court's power of judicial review. Both exist by strong implication. 
Anyway, he says it's an observation worth revisiting. After issuing a wave of hotly contested and in some cases deeply unpopular decisions, the Supreme Court has emerged in recent weeks as a formidable and perhaps the most formidable branch of the federal government. That's what I'm arguing, too. We, cannot, we, we need to change them or this country's not going to survive. He says six conservative justices, I'll say judges, enjoying life tenure, which is really good behavior, <laughs> we have to keep translating, right, on the bench are fundamentally reshaping the very meaning of citizenship. Their power to do so is seemingly absolute and unchecked. Then he says, how do we get here? He says, liberal critics of today's judicial activism are right when they note that the Supreme Court essentially arrogated to itself the right of judicial review. And I'm saying that's wrong. The right to declare legislative and executive actions unconstitutional. In 1803, in the case of Marbury versus Madison, where we always keep coming back to, there is nothing in the Constitution that confers this power upon the only unelected branch of government. But it is equally true that many of the Constitution's framers and original proponents intended or at least believed the court would enjoy that prerogative. I want to see that in writing. He says context matters and liberals normally insist that it does. The court is in the front line arbiter of what is and isn't constitutional. Okay, so this is why I make that distinction between using the Constitution and interpreting it. This is why I make this, this so clear. Because using the Constitution to solve cases in law and equity, and to use the Constitution to do that is absolutely the province of the Supreme Court. Where I draw the line is the minute they cross over from using the Constitution to interpreting and then using judicial review to declare things unconstitutional based on their interpretations or ideology or anything else. That's where the line is. If they use the Constitution in cases in law and equity, they're, they're good. If they go beyond that and interpret, and do the use things that are not in the Constitution, now they're over the line. Now they've exceeded Article 3. Now they're in bad behavior. Now the decisions are not legal. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's simple. Is the law unconstitutional or not? It's simple as that. Yep. Now we need to get the word it's out to everybody. It's not judicial <laughs> review to make it constitutional. That's simple. Yeah. Well, what, what Congress needs to do is to pass a law against judicial review. That's what they should do. I've already got one. I wrote it, what, three years ago, maybe four years ago. I wrote it a long time ago. It's one of the first things I did um, when I started writing legislation. Let me go – I want to get to – we got a little bit more time. I want to get more of this article because I think it's really quite fascinating. This is the first article I've found that actually is against Marbury versus Madison in a really clear way. Then he says, but that doesn't make the court more powerful than the executive and the legislative branches. Acting in concert, the president and Congress may shape – both the size and purview of the court. They can declare individual legislative measures or entire topics beyond their scope of review. See, this is the first time I've read this, right? It's happened before, notably in 1868, when Congress passed legislation stripping the Supreme Court of its jurisdiction over cases related to federal writs of habeas corpus, because that always exists, right? 1868, so it would be post-Civil War, because remember, Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. You could imprison people and not have to prove that there was a reason to imprison them. That's what a writ of habeas corpus is. That's what they should be presenting at uh, the D.C. Gulag. Saying, look, you have no right to keep these people. Show me the evidence. Abraham Lincoln uh-huh. was out of place doing He had no business doing that. Absolutely. You're, I agree. Yep, that was an illegal action. Because as we've said, from COVID to the Civil War, the Constitution is always in force. And you, you made the best quote ever. It doesn't have an on and an off switch. You can't turn the Constitution on and off. Once it was ordained and established, it's permanent. You can amend it, but you can't, you know, disallow it or ignore it. 
Abraham Lincoln did a lot of things that was wrong. But go ahead back to your article. Yeah, we should. Uh, we can talk about him sometime. <laughs> That'd be an interesting discussion. All right. So he says, but this is interesting that the the Congress. Well, if the Congress stripped their their power of uh, you know, overriding habeas corpus, which was a good thing to do, I'm sure. Then it says, in the majority decision, Chief Justice or Judge. Salmon P. Chase acknowledged that the court's jurisdiction was subject to congressional limitation. Ooh, I got to read that case. I'm going to get Jonathan in on this. Subsequent justices, excuse me, judges, over the past century have acknowledged the same. So, what the Congress really needs to do is start. Why didn't the Congress limit their jurisdiction over abortion with Roe v. Wade? Did they suddenly wimp out in 1972 or three or whenever it was? If they could do it in the 1800s, why couldn't right. they do it in the 1900s? Why, why did they, how did they lose For their vote. way? What's that? For vote. What, the women's vote? Well, I'll see you about that. Here's another thing. Well, says, yeah, that's... the women's vote, but also the man who don't want to take care of a child, he, they get his vote too. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting in the country. I, I talked to some uh, some older guys when I was younger. I was in a pilot group called the Quiet Birdmen. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. A bunch of old guys, old pilots, like usually World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War pilots. And they talked about uh, how life was before Roe v. Wade and before the pill. I said, we'd have sex all the time like you guys do. It was really interesting. He says, no, because, you know, women got pregnant. You know, and so, so we, were, we were restricted, restrained. We had social rules, mores, laws, and things like that. And, uh, you know, you might get to find yourself married. You know, and so we didn't do all these things. The, the, you know, once the pill came along, was another, I had another airline pilot tell me, he said, what was the golden age of aviation? He says, between the pill and, uh, and AIDS. <laughs> So apparently there's a time when they're all having sex all over the place in all these foreign destinations. You, you know, know what the, made the, them get married, don't you? There's um, a name for it. What, shotgun wedding? No, what? There you go. My goodness, you are really coming up. you coming along. Mm. Oh, I'll get the hang of it, yeah. But that wasn't a law. That was, that was you know, the family. <laughs> you're you're going to marry well, my it daughter. Was it was a, what do you call it? Mm. It was true, and I can't say it's, it's commonplace. It's well, societal. Yeah. It was. It was no. It was societal norms. Thus, it became a law. Yeah. Actually, that's how. Was... Actually, that's how laws became. Com- that's how laws came into existence in the that's West. Common law. Because exactly. the kind of laws got when this kind of law authority mm-hmm. got out there, people yeah. had come up with agreements amongst themselves. And those yeah. agreements amongst themselves became laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I wonder if they made the, the, it's saying they, the shotgun laws made the guy marry the, the woman. But I wonder if they're, if equally applied that the, the woman, you know, had to marry the guy. <laughs> I, I just, just curious about that. We'll talk about that sometime. I'll get CJ in that conversation. All right. So anyway. The article says that's the brilliance of checks and balances in the same way that Congress or the Supreme Court can rein in a renegade president, as was the case during Watergate. The president and Congress can place checks on an otherwise unconstrained court if they believe the judges have exceeded their mandates. Let me finish this because we've got about 12 minutes left. He says in 1801, outgoing President John Adams appointed and Congress confirmed a number of, quote, midnight judicial nominees in an effort to stymie incoming President Thomas Jefferson. See, I'm a Jefferson fan. John Marshall, then closing out his tenure as Secretary of State. Oh, he's one of the worst people ever to serve in government. I hate John Marshall. Anyway, he says, failed to deliver official commissions to several of the... Oh, here we go. Let me just read this point blank. Otherwise, I'll, I'll get confused and off track. John Marshall, then closing out his tenure as Secretary of State, failed to deliver official commissions to several of these justices. 
when Jefferson instructed his Secretary of State, James Madison, to withhold the commissions in an effort to deny Adams nominees their seats on the bench, one of those confirmed nominees, William Marbury, sued. The case wound its way to the high court. In a decision penned by Marshall, who now served as Chief Justice, the court held that Madison had violated the law by withholding the commissions, but also declined to order him to do so. In the same breath, the court asserted the right to strike down federal or state laws that it deemed unconstitutional, and so the concept of judicial review came into being. So that's, that's where it came from. Then he says, critics are correct on one point. The Constitution is silent on judicial review. It says only that the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it says, but many of the framers assumed that some form of review was a given. Okay, now I, I would say yes in terms of Cases in law and equity. They actually gave the power of, of review. Their review is in cases in law and equity. The limit of their review is cases in law and equity. So it's, it's, a, it's both a, a grant of, of power and authority and a limitation at the same time. You know, it's like when the, when the Constitution says the legislature, you know, all power, all legislative power shall be vested in a Congress. Well, that also means if all legislative power is invested in, it also means they do not have executive, nor do they have judicial power, because they have all the legislative power. But that's also their limitation. They're limited to all the legislative power. Does that make sense? We're thinking. Those powers have to be legis- those powers have to be delegated to the state legislature too. Oh yeah. Well yeah, but any well it's the only thing, the only powers that are delegated to the Congress are those in Article One, Section Eight. That's the only place they can make law. And that's the limitation. So they are supreme, according to the supremacy clause, where they have the authority of the United States. And the authority of the United States exists for the Congress in Article One, Section Eight. Those are the only places they can make law. And one of the ones I want to change is where it says to borrow money on the credit of the United States. I want to delete that sentence. So the Congress has no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Well, they can borrow it from China, maybe. <laughs> but they can't borrow it on our credit. I bet you they try to do that, too. That would be interesting. Let me read a little bit more here. We've got about 10 minutes. Judicial review is a concept. And, CJ, you're going to do a lot of talking because I've been talking way too much today. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> She's laughing. Yeah. So, so I hope you have a lot prepared because you're going to need it. Uh, it says judicial review as a concept was well established in 1787. Of course, that's the year the Constitution was established, right? English courts had long issued rulings upholding or striking down laws. See, I don't have a problem with striking down laws. I have a problem with interpreting the Constitution to strike down laws. See, that's the difference. It says rulings that in aggregate and alongside centuries of commentary formed the basis of England's unwritten Constitution. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. So that would be common law. So common law is established tradition, history, things like that. But see, the Constitution doesn't, doesn't take into account common law, tradition, history. It takes into account what's written. That's the difference between a republic and a constitution and other forms of government. Article says it was certainly well established in the United States, even on the eve of Marshall's decision. Between the Constitution's ratification in 1803, federal and state judges struck down at least 31 statutes on the grounds that they violated either the federal or state constitutions. These rulings were generally received with silent acquiescence. That's okay. That's what they're supposed to do. Key thing there is violating state constitutions. Say that again? I say the key thing there is the violation of a state constitution, which is contrary to the decision the other day in North Carolina. Yeah, exactly. So the federal, federal government cannot overrule a state constitution unless the state constitution, you know, like violates the Bill of Rights or things like that. 
That's where it gets interesting. But what, what is interesting about this is that the federal judiciaries and the state judiciaries functioned just fine before Marbury versus Madison. So they already had the power. You've got 31 statutes on the grounds that they violated either federal or state constitutions were struck down by judges. And they didn't use unconstitutional judicial review. This is why I say, if we never had Marbury versus Madison, the, the, the state courts and the federal courts would be doing what they're supposed to do, striking down unconstitutional laws. But what they wouldn't be doing is making stuff up in the Constitution to do it. They wouldn't be making policy for the nation. They wouldn't be declaring things that they can't declare, like CO2 is a pollutant. They wouldn't be doing any of that stuff. And we wouldn't be in this mess today. If they simply had overruled Marbury versus Madison in 1803, we wouldn't be here arguing about this now. That's what I'm contending. 1803 must have been a year of solar flares. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Well, the other bad year is 1913. Uh, so there's certain key years in our, in our uh, history that really screwed things up. All right, let me just get a couple more paragraphs to go here. And uh, actually, we've got a lot more paragraphs, but I'm not going to get to them. Let me get to them until we get to, until we get to CJ. How do we get here? It doesn't make a lot of sense. There we go. 18, oh, I already said that. Right into the being. Uh, okay, I read that. I'm sorry, I, I looked to see how long the article was, and I forgot I lost my place. He says, we also know that many of the Constitution's framers and loudest proponents anticipated the Supreme Court's role in adjudicating the constitutionality of laws and actions. Federalist Paper 78, Alexander Hamilton said so explicitly, if it is said that the legislative body is themselves the constitutional judges of their own, it may be answered that this cannot be the natural presumption where it is not to be collected from any particular provisions in the Constitution. It is far more rational to suppose that the courts were designed to be an intermediate body between the people and the legislature in order, among other things, to keep the latter within the limits assigned to their authority. In other words, let me translate into modern English. The courts are designed to take laws that the Congress passes that are unconstitutional and stop them. I absolutely agree with that. But that's, but that's not judicial review. That's just asserting their authority under the Constitution. And, but what this article doesn't make clear that I think is the real key to this is the line, the line that I'm talking about, the line between, between cases in law and equity and making stuff up to settle cases the way you want. That's what the court can't do. And they don't, they don't really make this clear. I don't care what Hamilton says. I'm more of an anti-federalist. Well, anyway. we've got two constitutions. One, the Constitution, and the other is court president. They that's, use not, the that's not the Constitution. Yeah, I disagree. Well, I know, but, it, but it's not the Constitution, but it acts like a Constitution that the courts use in order to do its dirty work. That I do agree with. No, I think yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, let's think. talk about that. That's, that's, that's an absolutely key point. You, you've hit it. You got time to talk about that. Hey, give me a link to that article you read and you get a chance. Oh, I've already posted it um, in, in, uh, on my Facebook. And the, go to the legal, Action Radio Legal Project. That's where I put all these articles. They're already there. Oh, okay. I'll give you the title right now. You can look what it up. It? What's um, the name of it? Uh, it's from, from, from Politico. Okay. And it says, Opinion, How the Founders Intended, intended to Check the Supreme Court's Power. Uh, I'm going to pick this up tomorrow because this is a great article. Yeah. 
But basically, you know, and the one place he says that the Congress can, can start, let me see if I can find that one section before we get to uh, CJ. CJ, why don't you come back tomorrow? I have another hour's worth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to do that tomorrow. <laughs> laughing. Yeah, but I know it's in here somewhere, but I want to pick this up tomorrow because this is, this is really key. Uh, then he talks about gerrymandering. I want to get to the point, let's see if I can find this really quickly. Uh, I'm looking for a place where it says that the Congress can overrule the Supreme Court. That's Oh, here we go. Let me try this little bit here. I might read this over tomorrow, too, because I want to make sure we know how we got here. It says, deeply ingrained in the Constitution, genius are checks and balances. That, that's what defines a republic, really. It says, the president can veto legislation. Congress can override a veto. The courts can invalidate an act of Congress or the president. And here's the key sentence. And the executive and legislative branches enjoy checks against the judiciary. And this is the part the Supreme Court denies, and everybody seems to go along with it. They think there's nothing that can check the power of the judiciary because they say what the Constitution means. They are the supreme law of the land. We just quoted that from Encyclopedia Britannica earlier. They are under this mistaken delusion that they are the authority, that, they, that nothing can, can check them. And I remember it. I, I heard this in the, the Kavanaugh hearing. In fact, I made a video about it, Seven Greatest Moments of the Kavanaugh hearing, you know, where they said it takes a constitutional amendment to overturn an opinion of the Supreme Court. That's not true. Kavanaugh said it, Senator Lindsey Graham said it, and they're both wrong because that would give the Supreme Court authority over the Constitution to saying that if you want to change their opinion, you have to change the Constitution to do it. That's BS. Let me read another paragraph. So the Constitution called for the establishment of the Supreme Court and lower federal courts. Da, 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 da. If left to it, it left it to Congress and the president to decide just what shape the judiciary would take. Makes sense. They did so in the Judiciary Act of 1789, that's something I'll have to review before tomorrow, which created district courts or appellate courts and the six-member Supreme Court. So this is what you were talking about earlier, Pianchi, with the division of courts. Over the years, Congress, with the president's approval, has increased and decreased the number of justices, excuse me, judges, on the Supreme Court, created and changed the jurisdiction of the district and circuit courts, and adjusted the number of federal judges. All right, so we know that, but uh, here we go. Critically, but less widely understood, the Constitution also grants Congress the power to strip the Supreme Court of its jurisdiction over specific matters. They should have done so over abortion. This is Article 3, Section 2. Here we go. Reads, in all cases affecting ambassadors of other public ministers and consuls, as I guess that's where consulates come from, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate. In other words, they get it afterwards, both as to law and fact with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. Okay, this is, I haven't gone over this, listen to this, with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. What does that mean to you? This is interesting. Pianchi, I got to read this again. He's thinking, he's typing. Yeah, I want to finish this article. Well, that's it. <laughs> that's it, right? That's, that's so it. The Congress that's can limit the jurisdiction. The, the Congress can limit the – it's right down the Constitution. The Congress can limit the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. So they're not the final authority. But the problem is, where has the Congress been the last hundred years? Actually, more than that since 19, 1803. Well, Congress is using a lot of things for political advantage. Whether it's the Supreme Court making these decisions on 
state redistricting or whether the Supreme Court is making decisions that's going to be favorable to a specific ethnic group, I should say demographic in the country, like Roe versus Wade. What yeah, but you don't, we don't. They, they, they're not supposed to make things based on proper rule, popular will, legislative decisions. None of that should apply. The only thing that applies to the Supreme Court is whether it's constitutional or not. Did the government entity I have the authority to do what they did? It, yeah, yeah. That's how they use it. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah, take a break for a couple minutes. Obama did. Obama did it with his uh, appointments with uh, Sotomayor, and not only yeah. her, but I mean that's just what you see nowadays. And, and the only reason why it continues to exist is because of the idiocy of the people. Well, when we have 10 million listeners, hopefully we'll change that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's take a couple of minutes. Give me a chance to take a break for a second and get CJ to get all her notes you together. Take a yeah. You take a nap, okay. <laughs> I'll be right back. Panicky won't, but CJ will. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That 
in Action Radio. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Okay, I've had enough fun. <laughs> had some water, sat back, stretched, and all the things I, I, I need to do during my break. But uh, let's get uh, CJ in the conversation. And this is CJ's Wellness Watch. So uh, what do you think of the last couple of hours? We've, we've been kind of on a roll here and talking about things that I, I don't think hardly anybody ever really talks about. Certainly not in the way that we right. do. Yeah. No. What do you think? Excellent, excellent job. I mean, that was really good. Um, you know, I was doing my best to listen to all of that while I was getting my, my morning started here here at the house. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of, and I have not yet checked into it. It's something that's on my, on my to-do list uh, for myself and my daughter for us to do a free uh, constitutional class. There's a lot of people um, mm. in this movement who have offered or have put together um, classes where you can actually, and I think I, I actually do have a link. I can certainly send it to you, or maybe you've already put something, you know, out there. But no, there I just do it off the top of my head. I've, I've talked about this stuff so much, I, I can just ramble it right out. Yeah, I don't even have to think about it much anymore, unless I'm really quoting it. But I don't have a good memory. There's a lot of people have, who can't do that, though. You know, there's yeah, a lot I of know. people who aren't even the Constitution says. So for individuals mm-hmm. who want to learn more, you know, there are places that they can actually go to mm-hmm. take a class and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, so. it's real clear. The federal government is supreme only where it has jurisdiction. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land over the federal government. And there's some overlapping things. And the Constitution is not exact. I mean, it's not all cut and dry. There are overlaps and confusion points and things like that. But you have right. to sort of, uh, that's why we have courts to go over it. But what the courts can't do, and this, this you can explain to anybody, they can't make up powers. They can't interpret what they think is Correct. there. They can't you know, use what they're calling judicial construction to create judicial review and just say, well, they always intended to do it. It's like when Obama said, uh, you know, if Congress right. is going to make the laws I want, I've got a pen and a phone. I'll just make it myself. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Does that change? This is my only question. Then we can get on to, to your stuff. But do we change anything or, or shed some new light or, or sort of expand any of the things you, you might have thought about the court before a little discussion for the last two hours? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> No, I think I think you know I, I'm I'm really digging into it truly, you know, and learning my, my myself more, you know, and I need to take that upon, upon myself um, and right. do that collectively as a family here in my home because I don't know it like the back of my hand. I mean, I know some of the basics and things like that, but I think that, you know you covered it really, really, you know, really oh, well. Thank you. It was. It was yeah. Absolutely. Well, and you know what so, we do too. You notice we don't. I mean, I use sources, um, especially when the sources are wrong. <laughs> Some of those are my favorite things to do. But you notice I don't depend on anybody else's uh, interpretation of the Constitution. I just read it, right. and we don't right. we don't say, "Well, this constitutional scholar says this, therefore this is true." That doesn't hold any water here. Everything goes through a logic and reason filter, and we always use our own brains. Uh, and look at this is why I'll read directly from the Constitution. You notice I'm not saying what somebody said about the Constitution so much as I'm reading what the Constitution actually says. And then we say what, and then we find the flaws, we find the little in, inconsistencies because it was written by a lot of people. And uh, committees, you know, never come up with a really, you know, definitive thing sometimes. And, yeah, go ahead, Bianchi. 
and this is a big problem in society is they they designate others to do their thinking rather than doing their thinking themselves by interpreting what they read. Yeah, or or it's only valid if somebody else said it. It's like when when we had a liberal call. He says that well, you're not a doctor, you don't know. I said, well, I can read the same studies they can. You know, I got a brain. You know, I said, well, you're not an expert. And my, of course, my favorite line is, well, I'm not a meteorologist either, but I know when it's raining. Right. <laughs> so, what right. do you got for us yeah. this morning? Well, you know, there's, um, and first of all, thank you for giving me grace last week. It was a hard thing when we lost lost my little puppy unexpectedly. That I'm was sorry. not a good thing. No, so, that's yeah, not fun. Well, like I said, it was unexpected, and so that's what, you know, and I think that there was negligence on my vet's side, and so I've mm. been really praying about seeing if I want to pursue that or not, but, you mm-hmm. know, I don't have an autopsy. I just I just know. You know, m- mamas just know these things. You just know. Mm-hmm. So, but yep. anyway, um, yeah, so recently, um, and we'll scroll a, a little bit because there's so many different topics, but the crux of what I really wanted to just open up today as a form of a discussion and share with people. Recently, what I'm finding is that there is a lot of uh, attention being drawn towards herbs um, and the healing power of herbs. And also, um, and like I said, maybe some of your listeners already know know about these these things, um, but also castor oil. The things that herbs and castor oil can the benefits and the healing properties. If you is that from a bean? It and, is that a bean? The castor bean is castor oil from a bean. Castor castor oil is a is a plant. It's a it's a plant, and it actually has oils in it. A lot of triglycerides, a lot of omega nine fatty acids. Um, it's all full of great healing properties. So it comes from a castor oil plant. So, and I thought it was a bean for some reason. I don't know why I thought it's, that. It's considered a vegetable oil, all right? But, okay. but, but it's by crushing the seeds of the castor oil plant. The oil comes from seeds because if you think about it, all seeds have oil, right? Pumpkin seeds, cat, you know, the, the seeds, not nuts, seeds, you know? Yeah, so, but seed oil isn't good um, for us though, right? So now, now I'm confused. Uh, are there good seed oils right. and not so good seed oils? Right. I guess there must be. 99.9% of seed oils to ingest are not good for 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 the body. You know, mm-hmm. there are few high-quality oils that if you apply to the skin or certain healing properties, they are they are different. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like um I don't know. I don't even want to get on this stuff, but but you know, it's mm-hmm. not a seed, but like avocado, coconut oil, you know, th- those things if you're going to use oils, oils processed are not good. But if you right. get something fresh, if you go break a coconut and you're using coconut oil, you know, on your skin and on your body, you know, there's a difference because things have been processed. So huh. if you look if you look at castor oil, and if you just go to Amazon and buy a castor oil, right, you need to be careful. You want to do your best. I mean, if you have to, you have to. It's, it's going to make a difference, but, you know, it's kind of picking picking you know, what's the lesser of the evil, so so to speak, that whole cliche, is if you're going to buy a castor oil, you know, there are some that come in plastic and there's some that come in glass jars. If you can, you want to get something that's in a glass jar um, because then you don't have all of the chemicals from the plastic 
leaking into the bottle when you're actually using the castor oil, you know, to heal your body. So, you know, I'm just going to be hot, like I've said before, open, honest, and transparent. I have both. I have a castor oil that is in a plastic bottle, and I have a castor oil that is in a glass jar. They are two high-quality castor oils. You know, and I use them for, for all kinds of different things, for healing properties, to put on my eyelashes, to make them, you know, grow. I have uh, a wrap that I use. Do you bet your eyelashes? That I have I'm just curious. Do you bet your eyelashes? Do I bet my eyelashes? <laughs> okay. Just checking. I do. I do. Just checking your, so, your, your um, flirting qualities here, yeah, which is very important. Uh, <laughs> so I need bigger eyelashes, right? <laughs> I guess so. Well, I don't know. Do you? I haven't seen your eyelashes up close. I'll, I'll let you know. No, we haven't met yet. Okay. You know, in fact, most of my reporters I haven't met, which is kind of funny. It's like we're, I've been talking to Pianchi for years. I've never met him. <laughs> it's just, someday oh, yeah. we all will. We're all going to get together. Well, let me ask you about plastic bottles because this might be a whole topic to itself because uh, I hear that plastic is not good. Uh, plastic water bottles, you know, they're leaching chemicals for a lot of time. So if you recycle or you clean your plastic bottle, eventually it doesn't have as much stuff. Or if you microwave those plastic-covered dinners that some of the plastic chemicals get in. So, so what's the, what, what do we know about plastic? Is it ever good or, or are they better quality plastics? Or what's, what's like the worst plastic? Maybe your two liter soda uh, bottles or something, or what? That's 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 a good that's a good question. Um, okay. There are different types of of plastic, and there are triangles. And you can look it up. I I do have it. I just don't have it tip my fingertips. But if you look at the bottle, or say you have a plastic container for microwaving stuff, and I use a lot of glass, and I do have some plastic. I've been trying to be a little bit more diligent. And I thought, you know, that some of the plastic containers, you know, BPA-free, all the things, getting, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, a higher quality of plastic. Um, but you should try to use more glass, even if you have 10 items in your kitchen that are glass, even if it's casserole dishes, whatever. Because even if you're sticking it in a toaster oven or a microwave or whatever, you don't have the seepage from whatever chemicals are coming from the plastic. At least you have glass. You know, if you're choosing choosing to microwave. So glass doesn't. Um, uh, there's nothing in glass that, that gets into the food. It's actually it's no. pretty pure, right? Because glass is self-contained. Right. So you can heat glass, you can nuke glass, you can, uh, which is probably not a good idea. But and you can store glass for mason jars for years. Probably glass is like the best thing to put food in, isn't it? Even even over cans. So you know, if you look at the bottom of your plastic containers, they'll mm-hmm. have a, a triangle. Even your even your water water bottles or your things like that. They'll have right. a triangle on the and they have the different numbers in them. You know, you've got one, you've got two, you've got three, four, really? five, you know, and huh. all, they all stand for something else, like grocery bags and sandwich bags have the number four on them. I know that, that cause, and it stands for low-density polyphylines, polyphylines. Spell it and out. And even though <laughs> That's what I do with big words. So just spell them out. Yeah, polyphylines. So okay. and even though they're generally considered safe, most recycling centers will not will not accept them. Oh. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. like number five, if you look at your cups, most of your cups, baby bottles, bowls, ketchup bottles, things like that, um, have number fives on them. And huh. so I think it has to do with the the levels. And their number seven, they include like BPA and a combination of plastic. So that means they have one through six in them, and they are seldomly recycled. 
so it, it's really it's really an interesting subject, you know, and that's why, I mean, you can even print out a chart, you know, and so you should really be li- limiting the plastic, you know, that is okay. in your, in your, so, so when you're, well, I prefer glass, at, say, uh, you know, I prefer glass, I, can get. I prefer glass, I'll buy glass over plastic for containers for, for, how about cans, is, is there any, uh, I mean, we've had cans around for a long time, well, 150 you years. Well, you know, that's the metal. You know, I'm leery of all the metals, okay. heavy metals in the metal. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like you just don't know if you buy a can of green beans, what's in that metal? You know, is it going to be, have a substance in there, like even like a metal spoon? When you get a bad metal spoon, you know, you get the met, met, that metallic taste in your mouth. If it's a bad yeah. metal spoon or something, I'm sure everybody's had that happen before, and I'm like, oh, gosh, and it takes forever. You know what I mean? But what are cans made of, of like, and should you wash the content separately, so like you do your, your vegetables and things, you know, your strawberries and things like you do? Should you, should you take your can of tuna or salmon or your can of beans and, and just wash them all off? Would, would that uh, take care of it? Because I think the cans, are, aren't they like steel or, or tin or something that doesn't affect the food? And that's yeah. the whole point. You don't want it degrading. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, you buy stuff that's fresh, right? And, you know, and if you're in the grocery store, they have those plastic bags, right, that you put your fresh food in and you have to put in the number of what the item is. You know, so how can you get away from it? You're either buying frozen frozen foods, you're buying canned foods. If you buy fresh foods, you got to put it in something to carry it home, right? I mean, in the right. store or a bag or your something. And mm-hmm. then even if you don't, think about how they got to you. You know, how did they come, what sort of a container were they in to get them from point A to point B? And, again, even if you're going to the farmer's market now, if you have a local farmer's market, um, and hallelujah, I think some are starting to open up up here in my neck of the hmm. neck of the woods. That's that, good. You know, you can choose your container to put them in. You know, but you hmm. even have those cardboard containers sometimes that strawberries are in if, if they're fresh. Because if you go to the grocery store and you buy organic strawberries at the grocery store, they're still in those plastic containers. So that's what I'm saying. It's it's challenging to get away from these chemicals, period. You know, it, you just have to be – I mean, I don't know that there's a 100% way to to do it. Like I said, even you can grow your own stuff at home. Circling back to what I was saying about the castor oil is castor oil is such – a great home remedy for so many things, hmm. but I I would I would purchase this in glass if you can. Like I said, I do have both, but herbs and castor oil have been the top buzz in in my world right now. And I would really? highly encourage people. Yeah, if you have not read, and I have the book actually here in front of me, but I'm thinking about returning it and seeing if I can find a hardback, only because the print's <laughs> so small. And it had, okay. I don't even know, like, with my glasses, if I can see it. And it's about, um, let's see, it is, uh, it's about 900 pages. And, but it's a small, packed book. It's called A Back to Eden, like the Garden of Eden, Back to Eden. Right, right. That makes and, sense. Yeah, I'm just looking up castor oil right now. And um, Zethro Cloth, it's an herbal guide. And he put this to home remedy since 1939. And so this huh. book is amazing. It is, it's like 11 bucks um, for the paperback. So mm-hmm. I would highly recommend individuals, if you're interested in this topic, that you get it. It's called Back to Eden. 
And this book itself, like, dedicates, I think it's like 20 pages, just to cayenne pepper. So cayenne pepper. Yeah, that's pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah, cayenne pepper and castor oil and even turmeric. Those three things for me right now over the past two weeks mm-hmm. have been the have been the have been the buzz. And most people don't know that turmeric and honey is the most potent antibiotic. Really? Ever. Well, so, see, now I, I put yeah. turmeric on a lot of stuff, but I have it in curry powder because it tastes better. Turmeric by itself is boring, so it doesn't have any taste. Yeah. But but you but you get curry powder. And so I'll make eggs and I'll, I'll put like some uh, curry powder on it and uh, all kinds of good, like, like Creole mustard and a couple of other things. But yeah, but, uh, and as far as yeah. what you said, tr- turmeric and what was the other one you mentioned? Turmeric, honey, turmeric honey. and cayenne pepper. And, but, but if you combine turmeric and raw organic honey, uh-huh. it is a very, very powerful antibiotic. And you should always buy local if you can raw it's because of the immunity yep. factors, like, in, in your area. You know, if you can't mm-hmm. get it from your area, I mean, get whatever you can, obviously. But local, raw, unpasteurized honey is the best. That's and what I've got. The, yeah. Yeah. And you can make a turmeric honey health shot. I mean, it, all it is is a fourth a cup of honey, mm-hmm. raw, unpasteurized, and one to two fresh turmeric root or two teaspoons of ground turmeric and a pinch of black pepper. And hmm. it's a really, really powerful antibiotic. Well, turmeric goes you on know? my salads and on my uh, and on my eggs and the honey I have, you know, with my tea. But the difference is, I always have a spoonful of honey that doesn't get cooked in the tea. And that's something I think we've talked about. That I always wondered if you have really hot, you know, almost boiling tea and you put honey in it, you're actually cooking it, which takes away some of the nutrition. So you got to have some of it the old-fashioned way, you know, just, just have a spoonful, you know, which tastes really good, by the way. I've, I've, I've got a real sweet right. taste. Um, but uh, yeah, that way like you don't... I, you don't I have a, yeah. Yeah. But I you have don't a girlfriend lose the, here that... Uh-huh. Yeah, property. property. Is she there yeah. now? I've mine here locally. She has her oh. own honeybee farm, like, in her backyard. So I get her pure honey just, mm-hmm. just from, from her, you know, just from her back backyard so we we use that um but i mean the 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 those are the three things that i wanted to kind of talk a little bit about today is the okay. cayenne pepper the turmeric, and castor oil so when you have castor oil and i'm going to circle this back you know and I, I blame myself for this and you know this is my wheelhouse and i don't know why i didn't do this so when my my puppy went in for a mole removal, non-cancerous, non-whatever. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. She was only two pounds, and, you know, it was like a pinhead and then two pinheads, and I was like, okay, um, they have to have that taken off. And I told them, don't give her anesthesia. Like, try to give her, you know, what they give, like, to adults or something. Like, just knock her out, give her a Xanax or something, you know, for for a, a dog. And um, so they tried that, and it didn't work. So they ended up giving her, like, probably a thimble, literally a thimble full of anesthesia, maybe even less than that because, again, she's two pounds. And right. the surgery went fine, whatnot. Anyway, she had to have one stitch, got her home. Again, I won't go into all that, but my point is I kind of put it on myself that I feel responsible for her death, and it's been very hard on me because I'm thinking, why didn't I use castor oil on that? Why didn't I try to use castor oil on that? Like, I've just been beating my – because 
I had like just a little bump on my elbow. I don't even know if it was a bite. I mean, I have no idea. Um, uh-huh. And I put like a drop on there and keep it on at night, and it significantly has diminished. It is still there. But I've mm-hmm. used castor oil for so many things, and I think I mentioned on your radio show that as a result of having this man-made virus, I have had some liver challenges. And I can't prove that it's from the virus or from shedding or if it's something else. I, I can't prove any of that. I'm just using my own deductive reasoning of when it mm-hmm. started and all that. And so I took right. it upon myself to start doing castor oil wraps. I bought a wrap online and wrapped it all around my midsection. And I'm telling you that because the castor oil got absorbed into my liver and into my organs and into my intestines, it it has helped 99.9% clear up everything. Huh. And so castor oil, even, you know, men, women, Women, if you have something lying on in your breast or a lump or whatever, you can actually wrap it around your chest, and it will shrink that. It will shrink the things that are going on. It helps with lymph nodes. You can just put it on, like get get some gauze or a wrap if you're doing, you know, your torso or your thigh or, you know, whatever. Pain, inflammation. Um, You can take it orally for constipation. You can take it orally as an... Uh, help with inflammation. There are so many things that you can take castor oil for and apply, apply on, like I said, even beauty, like put it on your eyelashes, put it on your, you know. Your, oh, yeah, your, I really need bigger eyelashes. You know, I, I never thought about that, but it's well, probably true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, you know, you can put it on okay. your eyebrows. You know, for women, you can put it on your nails and your cuticles. There are and well, I got an article here from Doctor. Uh, there's an article here from Doctor Axe tells all, all about talking about. I was right. This came from a bean. I guess the seeds in the bean. And of course, we're always warned against seed oil, so I'm, I'm careful of this. Now, yeah. there's, the, the the main chemical is ricinic acid. Let me see if I can find where that is again. Oh, ricinoleic. Well, oleic is a fat. Uh, so ricin, right, ricin right. is actually a deadly poison. <laughs> That's what they used to kill this guy, Georgi Markov, with an umbrella. The Russians did it. So ricin, or maybe it's ricin. But anyway, it reminds me of an of a assassination poison <laughs> that's been used. Yes, ricinic acid. Yeah, it's 90% of its fatty acid substance is ricinic acid, and it's got the omega-9 oh, and the triglycerides. Okay, that's how you pronounce it. So is it yeah. in other foods? Because I, I don't happen to buy castor beans. Is there other sources of this ricinoleic acid? Not that I'm aware of. Interesting. But I haven't done research on ricinoleic acid. You know, I've done research on castor oil because I know the benefits of it. But I don't have, I don't know. Okay. I'm just curious. Um, I got a funny story to tell you about castor, castor beans. So castor oil actually yeah. works as oil. <laughs> you know, and way back in, in World War One, they used to use it as lubricant because they didn't have that much petroleum because it was, you know, 1914 to 1918, right? So they barely had gasoline. Right. <laughs> you know, so, but the, so the, the World War I airplanes, um, were uh, were actually lubricated with castor castor oil because and that's how they saved on petroleum because they need it for the gasoline for the engines you know the the fuckers and the stop with camels and the you know the triplanes and all this other kind of stuff anyway so apparently uh-huh. these World War One pilots um, got sprayed with castor oil <laughs> you know because that's the engine oh, sprayed wow. leak oh yeah they sprayed they leaked everything and apparently castor oil has another effect too uh, it's very much of a laxative from what I've heard so yeah, that's why I said you can take it. Uh, for a constipation, right. constipation 
Oh, yeah, but here's the right. But here's the funny part. Well, they were taking it orally. In fact, they were they were getting it blasted from their engines all over their faces. <laughs> you know? so, oh my god! So one, of, so one of the effects of World War One pilots is they were very regular because that castor oil was sprayed all over them during their their air battles and things. Like that. So they survived the air battle. The first place they went when they got home, you know, back to the base, of course, is to the you know the latrine. But that's just a funny story for. But yeah, it does have that wow. effect as well. That's when you say castor oil. Oh I, like, oh, I know that's what that's crazy. from. I know what that's from. Yeah, I just I know weird things. Don't ask me why. <laughs> that is so funny. That is yeah. really funny, honestly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it looks so, like it's good so stuff. Like it's, it is very, very good stuff. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is that it will last you forever and a day. You know, okay. It's very so do you easy. do you get a jar of it? Do you get a bottle of it? Do you do you put it on your food? Do you take a spoonful yourself? How do you what do you how do you do it? What do you do with this stuff? Um, you can do all, any of all of the only of all all of the above. I prefer. And you mentioned putting it right on your skin for things, mosquito bites, yeah, that kind you of just stuff. Put it right on your skin. Yep. Okay. Yep. You can literally just put it right on your skin. Like I said, when I do it on my skin, I either use a wrap, a gauze, or when I put it on that little bump that I have, you can mm-hmm. actually just take a uh, cotton ball, and what I do is kind of drip it on that little bump, and I don't even cover it or anything like that, and then I'll just go to sleep, you know, at night. Just keep it on there. And it okay. it seems to be working. And my daughter said, we use it on our eyelashes. We just put it like on a Q-tip and just put it on, and it works out really, really well. Hmm. Interesting. Well, i got a list here. Anti-diabetic, anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, antioxidant, heptoprotective, that's for the liver, free radical scavenging, that's for cancer, and wound healing, that's what you mentioned earlier, too. This is pretty good stuff. It's all yep. purpose. How come we don't, uh, how come we don't uh, see that in, in our grocery stores? Why, because it's good for us? Exactly. You have to go to a health food store. Even, like, you know, really sunburn. I know a lot of people actually, say the younger generation, but I know quite a few of them, you know, who are doing home birth, and they take it to induce labor. So really? that's another thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so, exactly. So, so instead of them giving you a drug in the hospital, if you have, you know, a midwife and you're at home and you're doing your own thing, you can mm-hmm. take castor oil and it will help to induce, induce labor. So, yeah, it's a yeah, very, very... It lubricates very, the whole body. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. So if I was making my, my typical salad, salmon mix with my onions and garlic and uh, celery and, you know, throw some, some coleslaw mix, whatever else I put in there. Um, I have my, my apple cider vinegar, toss a little bit of that in, uh, my turmeric and my curry powder. Would, if I had a spoonful of castor oil, would that be a good thing, for example? Make it easy for me. Um, I don't know, but it's certainly not going to hurt you. I mean, why not? You might, between all the okay. salad and the castor oil, you might be in the bathroom for a little while. Well, if you, but, my diet's pretty high fiber anyway, between the avocados, the beets, and the uh, and the celery, that's not a you know that's a, that's not an right. issue, <laughs> you know. But yeah, but so I already right. have a high fiber diet, so that's that's uh, so castor oil, you know, would already help, but doesn't need helping. <laughs> I don't know if I should talk about right. this on the radio, but anyway, yeah, but it's kind of fun. Right. Well, but you yeah. know, one of the warnings of of castor oil is you don't want to overdose because it can result in poisoning, which can lead oh. to you know complications. So uh-huh. it's important to just use a little bit when you're ingesting it. So you really right. want to make sure the right information um, because it, it has been deemed safe in limited amounts. But right. if you take too much, you know, it, it, it's almost like the example of 
oil pulling, coconut oil pulling, if you're buying something that has something that has other things in it other than coconut oil. I mean, coconut oil mm-hmm. is fine. But if you're doing oil pulling, you know, for your mouth and for oral mm-hmm. health, you don't want to swallow that, you know, if it has things in it that are outside of just pure coconut oil. Like if you swallow a drop of it, it's kind of like if you don't use, which everybody should be, if you're not using baking soda or a non-toxic toothpaste, right, if you swallow a little bit of toothpaste, it's not going to hurt you. I mean, we all brush our teeth, right? So if right. you're using Crest, which you shouldn't be, um, hmm. and you swallow a little bit of toothpaste, it's not going to kill you. But if you eat half the tube of the toothpaste, you might have a problem, you know? Yeah. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, again, it's what do you as good as a last so I remember, I, I think I've exper- I think I mentioned this before, but uh, way back when I tried, you know, Tom's toothpaste non-fluoride, and I got about like four cavities within six months. <laughs> so that wasn't necessarily a good yeah. idea. You know, go back to the Colgate, uh-huh. and uh, I was fine. So what, what's a good toothpaste these days that has all the protection of fluoride without having fluoride? Right. Well, you know, and I'm going to give this disclaimer. I am not by any means advertising, but I use a lot of Melaleuca products. I use okay. their toothpaste, their everything, because I want to support USA products, and there's non-toxic stuff in there um, that does not have fluoride in. So I use 90% of their products in my in my home, um, but I do use baking soda um, for a lot of things, baking soda and coconut oil and things like that that I can just buy, and I do use those for oral care as well. So now you can't buy coconut oil. You can't buy coconut oil fairly easily. So is that a, a oh, yeah. substitute for castor oil, or is castor oil just better? Oh, castor oil is totally just two totally different animals. Okay. Two or totally. plants. You compare. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you can't compare coconut oil to uh, castor oil. No, that's not okay. even in the hmm. now. Yeah. Well, it, no. I guess things here, uh, the, the Dr. Axe website talks about boost circulation, moisturizes skin, which yep. we've talked about, induces labor, helps uh, sunburn, which you talked about, as a laxative, which we talked about, <laughs> lowers symptoms of arthritis, uh, encourages strong, shiny hair. I've already got plenty of strong, shiny hair. Um, uh, and there we go. And he's got a, so I guess he's got a whole article on this. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's very good. It's very, very good. It's very uh-huh. good. And then yeah. back, like I said, to the turmeric and honey. Like me uh-huh. personally, I make sure everybody knows that. Um, I mean, obviously, honey has a long, lot of benefits, but it is important to know the difference of honey because manuka honey is really good, and you have to know the difference in factors. But with uh-huh. making a an anti- antibiotic, just using raw pasteurized honey is good enough, and. And, this, and I have not researched this because I, I haven't made it ahead of time. I would not make like a jar, like a mason jar full of turmeric and honey as an antibiotic. You, I don't know if you can or cannot do that and how what the shelf life is. That would be something to look up, which I have not done. But if you know that you have access to that, if you feel something going on, going on or if mm-hmm. you have a test, they say you have an infection, right, whatever that is. You know, make some of it, get retested in five to ten days, see if it's wor- worked for you. You know, so make sure that you, you know of that recipe and know that this is a powerful antibiotic that you can take as needed or when it's appropriate for you to be taking. Do you have to take them together? Do you have to put turmeric and honey together? Or you can have turmeric in your salad and you then honey in together. your tea and you have to do them together. Okay. 
you mix, huh. you mix it together. All right. Just curious. Yeah. Um, so they don't, they, 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 they need to be. Of black pepper as well if you want to, but it's basically okay. the, the turmeric and the honey that are the powerful ingredients together. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'll have, a, if I wake up sometimes with a scratchy throat, it's like been cold the night before for whatever reason. Um, you know, I'll go have a spoonful of honey and I'm fine. All of a sudden it takes it away. <laughs> it's like a natural right. antibiotic. It's, it's incredible. Right. Honey's amazing. So it right. tastes good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, as long as you're getting, you know, the right stuff. I mean, I guess worst case scenario, if you had to go buy it at a store, you buy it at a store. But, you know, a lot of it is, you don't know where it's coming from. So if you know the source, it's just a better, much better option. You know, I'm not saying it will or will not work if you just go buy something at your grocery store on the shelf um, or know, know how long it's been sitting there. So if you can get it from a farmer's market or you know somebody that has a honeybee farm, you know, that would obviously be, the, you know, the most preferable way to go. You know? I know some of the honeybee farm. Actually, Josie, who's on our show on Tuesdays, uh, her her business in in Pensacola. She's now got a couple of beehives out back and sells honey and uh, sells eggs and uh, yeah, she does all kinds of good stuff. That's awesome. It is. It is definitely. Yeah, I got some. She had green eggs, it's so we were choosing about green eggs and ham. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, funny you bring up eggs, not squirrel, but people should really be looking. If you're going to a grocery store, pasteurized eggs are the best best, best eggs. Not even cage free or anything like that. You want to buy pasteurized eggs. How do you buy pasteurized eggs? Better better eggs. It says pasteurized on the container. Well, wait a minute. Eggs come in a shell. How do 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 they pasteurize eggs in the shell? Are you talking about unshelled? That's what they they say on the the, um, container. So you know for sure that the chickens and whatnot have been really fed a clean diet or really been out there grazing on stuff that hasn't hasn't been treated because you have – Several categories of eggs, right? You have free-range, cage-free. I don't even know them all because um, my daughter eats eggs, but I don't. And then it's classical musically trained. Eggs. Yeah, I never heard pasteurized <laughs> yeah. eggs. I mean, that must see what well, it's like eggs that you know, you know chickens that listen to Mozart. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of weird stuff out there, right? They do that too. Yeah, they, they, they people do that. They'll play classical music for their animals. I don't ask me why. But yeah, so, so <laughs> the antibiotic basically is one fourth cup of honey. And if you're using fresh turmeric, you can use one to two inches of it and ground it, smash it up if it's fresh turmeric root, or one to two teaspoons of ground turmeric and black pepper if you want to. So it's one to two Hmm. teaspoons of turmeric. Yeah. Okay. So really, really good, you know, good, good, good information, really. Yeah. Well, all this stuff's good information. You know, it, it's like the, the um, someone told me something the other day that uh, the, the best food, maybe it was you, is on the outside, you know, from the, the produce to the, the, the dairy to the, you know, the other stuff, or the really bad stuff, the delis, I guess, but the really bad stuff's in the middle of, the, of, the, of a supermarket. So as long as you stay on the outside, you, you know, you're pretty, you're much better off than going through the middle aisles. Is that true? Two statements. Two statements. And if you have a child, it's a little bit. More, more challenging depending on the age of your child to, to do that. Right. But, you know, there are, you know, I've noticed, though, that there are, yes, that, to answer your question, yes, that is a general rule, absolutely 210%. However, huh. if you're shopping 
on the inside of the aisle is some of the stuff, like if you need crackers and this and that and the other thing. There are a handful of really good brands that you can buy, like the Siete, I think it's S-I-E-T-E, you know, for, for their chips. They don't have any of the high inflammatory oils in there, nothing like that. You've got Simple Mills brand, which is really good. If your house has to have cereal in it, which we don't do much cereal at all, there's really no nutritional value. But Seven right. Sundays, Seven Sundays is a very, very good, clean brand. And, you know, my daughter does have that sometimes with fruit on it, or I'll throw it in with, you know, some coconut milk yogurt or almond milk yogurt or, or something like that. So there are a handful of things that if you – Want to buy those things that you can. Just like, remember when we were talking about cicada chips and inflammatory oils. Every once in a while, I do buy chips, like once in a moment. And there's only. Well, can you get coconut there's oil only chips? One. Are there coconut uh, oil chips? Well, Are there co- coconut oil chips? oil chips? Avocado oil chips. Well, that sounds good. Avocado yeah, oil, is so that like the new, is like, like the new oat brand? Remember several years ago, everybody was like buying oat brand, then they went gluten-free. <laughs> they just went from yeah. one side to the other. It's kind of, so is, coke, is avocado oil, because that primal mayonnaise, 10 bucks a jar, but it's the best. I mean, it really is good. Yeah, Even over the, the chosen at $7, $8 a, a, a bottle for a jar, it's, it's not quite as good. So I'm going to go back to primal. I got to spend the extra two bucks. Yeah. But avocado. What is it about avocado oil that tastes so good? And how come we're only just discovering it now? Or has it been around and we just didn't know? It's been around, but they promote and pump out so many of the of the other chemical oils. You know okay. what I'm saying? And and if you look at, I mean, again, if you go to the grocery shelf on the inside of the aisle while the crap is, I mean, go look, pick up anything in the snack aisle. Like you look at Triscuits. You know, they get you by saying three ingredients. Right? Yeah. They, they, Whole you know, wheat. Some of the old <laughs> the original yeah. ones, and then they'll right. say three ingredients. Okay, great. Those three ingredients may be okay in quotes. I quote that, which uh-huh. really isn't okay. BHA, right? BHT, and wheat. <laughs> that, those are three ingredients. Right, right. So <laughs> look at the oil. It's safflower right. oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, all of those inflammatory oils. And you think they're good. Even if you go and look at the aisle with the chips, like I said, it'll say baked. Baked. Well, what oil are they using? You know? And so that's what causes the inflammation and the issues. So you've got to know what you're, what you're reading. Because when people go and see whey thins and um, – or wheat thins, I'm sorry, wheat thins and triscuits and all those crackers, and say three mm-hmm. ingredients better for you or three ingredients – Okay, great. You've got three ingredients, but then let me see the oil. You know, and still all of the wheat is all full of gluten, which gluten, most people don't get it. And I I have this challenge with with my son is that he doesn't get that you don't necessarily have to have a gluten intolerance. You know, like if we listen to Dr. Glyden and a lot of the doctors that I've interviewed and maybe you've had on your, your show, wheat in general isn't good for any human body. It's really not because it's been so genetically modified. It bogs mm-hmm. down the, the, the gut. You know, can we stay away from it completely? You know, every once in a while, can you have it? You know, of, of course. It's that 90, you know, 90-10 rule. Yeah, but I whatever. used to have cereal but every as- day. 
I mean, I had shredded wheat and I had granola, and I had this r- r- really healthy mixture with honey on I top. Know. And I thought I was, and I thought I was really getting good food. And I, I ate that for years. And all of a sudden, someone told me about four years ago, maybe five years ago, that uh, wheat is really bad. And I looked it up and I did some research. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. So ever since oh. then, I haven't had I've, I haven't had cereal since, and I felt fine. So you don't need it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I do hmm. buy some cereal on my my daughter, but mm-hmm. the brand that I buy does not have any of that stuff. You know, in it, it's like that eight well, real ingredients. Well, is there a good brand? Is there a good brand? Because you're either going to have wheat or oats or, or some other grain, rye. What else is in, in cereal? Is so, there any good so cereal the seven, seven Sundays. Seven Sundays is what it's called. F-E-B-E-N uh-huh. Sundays is what I we use. And it's got cassava flour, and it's got maple syrup, coconut oil. This one has strawberries, blueberries, vanilla extract, and lemon extract. That's it. Um, but what's the grain? They've got to have some kind of a grain for a cereal, it's got right? Cassava flour. That's it. What's that's that? It. It's a cassava. Is just another. It's not necessarily a grain. It's it's a it's a flour made from beans. Uh huh. And seeds. So. So they grab the beans, make like a flour from that, make the cereal from that. Yeah, just like you can make almonds to make almond flour. So okay. this is huh. better is than going and buying shredded wheat. You know what I'm saying? So what happened so, to wheat? Again, was wheat ever good for us, or is it something that they've, they've botched up with all kinds of so. uh, GMO things? So wheat was never... So how did we get, how did we get wheat in our diet then? Let's, let's go back to ancient history. <laughs> let's go back to the, the steppes yeah. of the Caucasus Mountains where the original white people were cultivating you know, back in the agrarian societies of, of several thousand years ago. What did they grow? Didn't they grow wheat, or did they grow something else? Yeah, I've never... I guess um, they grew corn here. Right. So is cornbread better? Mm-hmm. It is? Good question. I don't know. I'm Good just question. So, so, so native folks here grew corn, right, and made cornbread. But wheat came from, I guess, Europe. Didn't it come from the, the steppes, the Caucasus Mountains, the, the Great Plains, you know, where all the white people came from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I'm a thinking. Been, a lot of it's been so genetically. Right. But, was wheat, but the question is, is wheat in itself, in its pure form, if you had pure wheat, that had not been genetically modified, adulterated, or otherwise chemically, uh, you know, mixed up with pesticides and growth hormones, whatever else they put in there, you know, vaccines, you know, is wheat itself a decent plant? Yeah. For humans. Uh, Doesn't sound like it. You know, going back to, going back to Little House on the Prairie days, huh. I would probably say yes. But I can't, okay. again, think about, think about what we just said. If you go back to Little House on the Prairie days and your great-great-grandmother's farm, Right. Apples were amazing for you. You know, apples weren't the size of your head. Apples had different nutritional value. Even organic apples now sometimes, you have to be careful because I'm like, how the hell does an organic apple get bigger than my head? <laughs> yeah. I'm well, actually, apples, I read this, that there were, there used to be about 140, in the 1800s, there were 140 kinds of apples. Now we have about six. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, right. that's, uh, that's for the, the producers. I also heard the tomatoes are bred to be able to withstand a 40-mile conveyor belt, 40-mile-an-hour conveyor belt. That's why they have thicker skin. No, I heard that wow. somewhere. You can look it up. Yeah. The, the, the apples and, wow. and the other things, tomatoes especially, because tomatoes are softer than apples. Apples can take the, the conveyor belt. But uh, tomatoes being right. softer, they, they, they want to make them strong enough to be able to stand, withstand the conveyor belts. That's why they bred thicker skin tomatoes. Isn't this wild? Oh, wow. All, this, all these stupid things I know, I don't know where. You know, I think the World War I with the castor beans was the best one, though, today. <laughs> that was funny. 
you know, that's good. That's that's yep. good. And that's why, like I said, if you can, it's better to grow your own stuff. And, you know, if you have the financial means, if you can't have a garden, you can buy one of those, um, and I always say it wrong, but the hydro stations that you, Hydro- can, you can. Hydroponic? Yes, thank you. Hydroponic. I've been wanting to get get one of those where you mm-hmm. can grow indoors all your, you know, food year-round pretty much. Hmm. Uh, okay. I mean, so, again, if you have the financial means to do so, mm-hmm. you know, do it. I mean, hmm. that's that's one way. But then, but then again, how far you want to go down the rabbit trail? Are, are the seeds well, genetically modified? You know, the other problem is, too, is, is, is money. You know, some of the, the, the poorest folks, you know, are, you know, don't have the same access. In other words, how many people can afford $10 for a jar of mayonnaise? I probably shouldn't, <laughs> but I don't want the seed oils either. But, you know, a lot of this is money-based so that uh, people that are middle class, upper middle class or wealthy have a much better chance of, of buying all these pure things, organic things and things like that. But if you're a poor person, and I've been poor recently, in fact, you know, and having to shop in various grocery stores where your, your selections are limited. Uh, I remember I didn't have my car for a couple months. I had to watch my local grocery store. So whatever they had, that's what I ate, <laughs> you know, because I couldn't drive anywhere. Um, but the point no, I is get it. the selections. I, I get it. Well, that's what they do yeah. on purpose, though. They make, they mm-hmm. make the cleaner food with a higher price tag knowing that eight out of ten people can't buy it. They have to buy the stuff with the crap in it which then causes right. them to have potentially more illnesses over time. Like I said, if you go eat a bag of Lay's potato chips today, are mm-hmm. you going to die tomorrow? Probably, probably no. not. You know, no. is it going to hurt you? Probably not. But if you buy a bag of Lay's potato chips today and next week and then in three weeks, if you do it consistently over time, you know, it's the repetitive mm-hmm. behavior. It's not like, right. you, know, you, go out, you know, you go out one night and you have four beers. Is that really going to hurt you? No, but if you do it every single day, you might start having some problems. You know, no, so you got to put yeah. it into in perspective, and mm-hmm. that's why they jack up the prices. So, like in our household, like I said, I do buy um, Primal or Chosen brands, but it takes us a while to go through that. You know, we'll make tuna fish, or my daughter likes tuna fish. We do their salad dressings, things like that. Sometimes mm-hmm. we use salsas, but we're using it only. You know, and we and we pick and choose. Like in our food, that's one of the places where I'm willing to spend a higher price tag because it's actually going into into my body. You know. Well, you're saving money on on medicine and doctors and you know future treatments and cancers and everything else. So, but most people don't see that because they they have to live you know for the moment. They don't have the option. Right. Everybody's living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So it's really it's really kind of interesting. Oh, just to interrupt for a second, I'm starting to get messages. Apparently, the Supreme Court has a huge decision, and we were talking about the courts earlier, uh, on affirmative action. I guess they've overruled using affirmative action. Um, so I'm going to have to study that. I'll, that'll be on tomorrow's show. So we're going to continue okay. our discussions of the Supreme Court. But uh, that's just a little break and update there. But, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I find it interesting, you know, and I know we're scrolling a little bit, but just to give you an example. So I, I went out uh-huh. last night um, with a girlfriend of mine. We went to a, a restaurant for happy hour, you know, and I had a glass of wine. And I was going to order something to eat. And, you know, just because of what I do in here recently, my brain just goes all over the place. In order to go out with me, you have to be a really, really special person because I'm so anal about so many things. I always like, I I go to dinner with you just, just to see what you ate. I would do that. We'd have a fabulous ah! We can make a video. Well, like last night, I know. <laughs> well, last night, I was like, you know, 
I ordered vegetables. Like when I got to him, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was going to order a wedge salad. And I thought they had a lettuce. I didn't even wash it. They broke it open. <laughs> and like, like, like it's, it's not organic. What if I, you know, get food poisoning? Like how did they wash this head of lettuce? And then another salad, I'm thinking they probably get all this salad like in a bag, right? Because they're feeding the message. Do they really clean? Do they really clean that lettuce? You know? So I ordered a Caesar salad without the Caesar dressing on it. And I got like something on the side. And I got. I'm going to start calling you Sally. Yeah, you just become Sally. And when Harry met Sally. And I want the Caesar dressing on the yeah. side, and I want this on the side. I want to go see the kitchen to see how you wash your salads. And I want this, and I want this, and exactly. I just want things the way I want them. Yeah, you're going to your salad. Exactly. But you don't have to do the other scene, oh you know, God. where she, yeah. It was but driving you, me up. I mean, it's, stuff like that just <laughs> drives me crazy. And so mm-hmm. I had my, you know, my puppy with me, and um, she was in her little stroller. <laughs> and I know because right. I asked, none of their fish is, farm, is, is wild caught. And so I was like, I'm not eating any fish, right? You don't right. want to do that. But I did get a piece of the salmon on the top and you know my my dog that this the dog that i have my since my littler one passed away she's like four and a half pounds and mm-hmm. so i got the salmon and i was feeding her some of the salmon you hmm. know i'm i'm not gonna touch it and then i gave her some right. more last night like when we got home and then she'll have some more there and i think i probably five bites of the salad because every time i put the salad in my mouth i'm like oh my gosh i know this isn't organic did they wash this what's been sprayed on it to keep it Last longer. I'm like, just CJ, you can't have any fun. You, you can't go out because you never enjoy yourself because you're always going to be wondering all these I, questions. You got to just resign yourself. That it just. Do you ever eat ice cream? I mean, you just go out and have fun, and, you know, or never. do you, do you uh, no, okay. Just keep I curious. can't do dairy. I can't do, no, like I said, just if you, uh, two cocktails and a, and a piece of chocolate, I'm good. Okay. Not even <laughs> sherbet, which is like fruity. Do you not even have fruit uh, no. sherbet or sorbet? No? Okay. Just Keep checking. Sugar. We have, a, we have a new ice cream place that I uh, just checked out. Yeah, Scoops in, uh, uh, in Milton here. So one of my, they're friends of mine. So, yeah. So they, I, I, did, I did the sherbet sorbet thing. What's that? Some of the, um, like, Brewster's here, we don't go that mm-hmm. often, maybe once every other month. But they're starting to have the almond-based and oat milk-based um, product. So mm-hmm. every once in a blue moon, I'll get that. But, again, if you read the ingredients, they have all these other crap in there. And... When I go to Whole Foods, which I do go to because they're the only place that has a couple of the products that are clean that I will buy for my home, there's only right. one ice cream, and I get it for my daughter because, like I said, I don't do dairy, um, mm-hmm. but that is super clean, and it's called Aldean. A, I think it's A-L-D, you can even look it up, A-L-D-E-N apostrophe S or Alden, A-L-D-E-N apostrophe S. Fran is the cleanest of clean, depending on what flavor. But listen to this. It's like 10 bucks <laughs> for it. Yeah, oh, I believe it. And so, so I'll buy it when I see it on sale for $7. And I'll oh. tell my daughter, you've got this to last you the month. So, you know, make sure you're taking one bite a day for the next 30 days. Because <laughs> 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 I'm, just, I'm just that mom. You know what I mean? But I'm trying to teach her. You know, you can buy the the better for you things, but you gotta make right. make them last. And you know, look at the difference in the prices. You can go and buy a thing of Briars, two two for eight dollars, and all you're getting is a box of chemicals. So you choose: right. do you want a box of chemicals, or do you want to spend eight dollars on one carton and make it last and have it as a treat once a week? 
Yeah, no, you I, know, I mean, you, you know, I buy good too. chocolate, but I could buy better. You know, I mean, I usually get the, the lint or the Ghirardelli, which is better than most, but it's probably not as good as a completely natural organic chocolate. But uh, I'm working on it. Right. Again, it's economics, too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm just goes back to the whole thing, you know, when we were talking about the castor oil <laughs> and trying mm-hmm. to buy it, you know, yep. not in plastic, but in a jar. And using some of these other things, going to the farmer's market now, getting the raw, um, raw and ask raw, unpasteurized, local honey, and buying either clean turmeric root, you know, um, or buying, um, you know, your your cumin, all these things natural. Or if you have to go on Amazon, make sure you're looking for organic, you know. And if you buy a bag of it, which I did that's already ground, it's going to last you a while, mm-hmm. you know, if you sprinkle it on and you don't use it in copious amounts. Again, unless you're making an antibiotic, well, then you need an antibiotic. It's still more cost-effective than going right. and putting a chemical in your body if you don't need to. Now, if you use it, and again, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not making, you know, any claims. But if you use, if you choose to use a natural remedy and you say, I'm mm-hmm. going to use it for a week to 10 days, if it doesn't work, then obviously you probably want to go do something else, you know. But it's, do you want to try to use some natural things first before, you know, going, going to a pharma- pharmaceutical? And that's just an individual choice. So for, for me, like I said, you know, I would say over the past two weeks since I was on last, um, the cayenne pepper, the turmeric, and the castor oil have been three big things um, that have really been coming up here lately and just herbal healing. So since people want to look into getting getting that book and doing research on those mm-hmm. items that we talked about today, I think that that would be great. And, again, the book is called Back to Eden. So just think of the Garden of Eden, Back to Eden. Um, and, again, I'm currently looking for a larger version of the book just because this one has way too small print for my old eyes. Um, <laughs> You're not that old. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, But it's an excellent, excellent book. And, like I said, to the cayenne pepper, it's got, like, 20 pages just devoted to cayenne pepper. So those are wow. some great things that – you guys can research and do your own digging with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's true. what's interesting, too, is that the natural foods fill you up more. You know, so if you have, uh, if you have the junk food, you, you eat a lot more of it. I don't know if it's like empty calories, they say, or, or it just uh, it makes you hungrier. But, uh, you know, you have natural food. Right. Uh, it lasts you a lot longer. And this is how I'm able to, to fast, you know, from – so I'll, I'll have, you know, the end of my food day is like two hours from now. So I get up at four, which is like your five. Uh, and then I'll, 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 I've got breakfast, and then I got the show, and then I got dinner, and that's it. You know, and that's right. how I can get away with right. uh, going up for my sorbet yesterday up at, uh, up at Scoops, and because I didn't eat the whole rest of the day, so it's like, okay, I'll just lose it then. And that seems to work out for some reason. So fasting yeah. is another thing we should uh, we should toss into our our mix as well. Well, I, oh, I want to yeah. go out with yeah. you for a restaurant just because I want to see what you don't order. I mean, it's gonna be fun. I just listen to the questions that you would oh, ask God. the server. So you know, we got to we got to do this. What's that? What? I'll leave you on this note. Sometimes, well, if I, when I get asked out on a date, they'll say, where do you want to go? I'll say, take me to clean juice. Because everything is organic there, and I can get a smoothie, you know, with beet juice and stuff like that. I don't have to worry about things not mm-hmm. being organic. There's no pressure. Huh. It's just, you know, give me give me a good juice with some turmeric and cumin and all all the things. You know, I can pick my own. And okay. And what's this place called? What's it called? Clean juice. Clean juice. Clean juice. Okay. See, I don't mind you mentioning products on the show, but what would be – 
what it was my 10 second warning. What would be really nice though, is if some of these companies, if you told them that you're doing reports here and if they want to, you know, help contribute to either support your report um, or the whole concept of what we do in terms of, of citizen legislation. And I got a bunch of things that I need to write, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's huge amount of stuff we need to do here. Uh, especially in terms of judicial review, which we talked about earlier and uh, taking, uh, you know, getting the bureaucrats, running them in a bunch of other things like that. But uh, there's got to be some decent, right. well, it'd be interesting to look into do it like an economic study. Do you know if anybody's ever done that as to why organic things are more expensive? Is it because they just make fewer of them? Is it, are they purposely trying to make it more expensive so that poor folks can't afford them? Is it just the way it, the market right. works? I mean, you know, I'd be interested to, to get a really good study on that. That'd be interesting. But anyway, yeah, you can mention yeah. products. But uh, certainly feel free to suggest to them to support us in what we okay. do here. We, we take contributions. I'll make commercials, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Okay. I will do it. I will do it. Okay. If anybody wants to reach me, um, you can reach me at h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com, h2owellness at gmail.com. Sounds good. All right. Let's do it again next week. All right. Well, I appreciate you all. Have a very blessed Fourth of July holiday weekend. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention this just before you go. Um, if you want to join us in the reading of the Declaration of Independence first thing Tuesday morning, uh, just let me know off the air. I'll get okay. you a part and All everybody right. gets a chance to read. Right. Hopefully we'll get some interesting guests. I mean, I've got a few folks in mind that I'm thinking, well, let's see what if they want to join us. What time is it? You said it's 8 o'clock Eastern. Time. 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central Time. I will be in touch with you and I'll text you later. Okay. Sounds good. All right, CJ. You take care. Right, have Thank a you. Day. All right. Bye-bye. You too as well. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too.
Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. You know, I was just thinking I should make a uh, another promo that has all our websites in it because I tend to repeat them at the end of every show, and I probably should do it, you know, more during the show so people uh, get an idea of what's going on. So our website here, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Our uh, substack is gregpengloss.substack.com, and we do take paid subscriptions, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever whatever works for you. Uh, our contribution site, givesendgo.com slash actionradio, and uh, my uh, public email, greg at writeyourlaws.com. So that's what I should be doing, but uh, we'll work on that. <laughs> All things I should be doing that I don't do, um, but uh, that's it. Anyway, we, do our, we are looking for sponsors, so if you want to sponsor us, uh, this is how you do that. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink 
a 20% discount and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.